Jim Cornette Experience Omnibus Edition, where we gather various greatest hits from, I guess, all time here on the show and, of course, on the drive-thru, and we put them together for a mashup and, some might say, an omnibus of amazing material that you heard this year and beyond here on the shows, but I'm not here alone. With me, the man some have called Santa Corny, but we, of course, know him as the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. You hear that, the great Brian Last? That's the sound of the horn on the bus that's bearing down on the cult of Cornet as we speak right here. You're about to literally be run down by entertainment the likes of which has never been perpetrated on podcasting airwaves in the history of the internet before. Well, you can't promise that. I mean, again, these are clips from previous well, I, episodes. It, wait a minute. I, why are you telling me I can't promise that? Is it is it me on the program? Is it you on the program? If it's me and you, mostly me, but some you. If it's bit. us on the program, then it's going to be great. But but hey, I I don't want to I don't want to sit here all this time talking about you. Enough about you. Let's talk about me. What are we going to talk about here today, Brian? What are, what are we going to hear? What's the flavor of the uh, on the bus that we're going to hear about today? Well, the flavor of this omnibus, I'm guessing, is bland turkey. I'm not exactly sure, but the topic is going to be a very popular topic amongst the cult of Cornette. Vince McMahon, the various topics, the various stories you have told on the air about Vince McMahon. And this includes not only as of late when he is unfortunately become somewhat of a shell of his former self and is murmuring about eggs and pencils. <laughs> That's right. But but this also includes stories from the Halcyon days. I'm not talking about the drug now for you people in the gutter. The Halcyon day, the glory days of Vince, when he was on top of the world, when he had a, a commanding presence, a stentorian tone to his voice. As a matter of fact, somebody praised me the other day for... Smartening them up to the word stentorian. It's something they're going to use now in everyday language and everyday conversation. But so it's the, the plethora of Vince McMahon stories that are out there. Indeed, that is correct. From the very beginning, when he was intimidate, intimidating, when he was impersonating Howard Cosell, he tried to intimidate <laughs> Howard Cosell. Remember, he tried to get him. If you ever read Howard Cosell's book, it was like Vince McMahon called me and he wanted me to come to the WWF and I yeah. told him no and he was like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and he did remember he did the same thing with Mike Goldberg. That's with right. Goldberg and Rogan before everybody knew Rogan was a lunatic and and Mike Goldberg was the play-by-play -play voice of the UFC. He suddenly got a wild hair up his ass as we've mentioned about Vince ever when he wakes up with an idea the the world is not safe, and he was trying to get Mike Goldberg not only to come and be the voice of Raw, but to no show Dana White on some big event that they were they were on the the doorstep of presenting over in the UFC, wasn't it? I believe so. It was definitely to screw over the UFC. That was the main intent yeah. behind it. Sure. And so that's sometimes Vince just wakes up with the idea: either I'll 
fuck that guy like he may have done with Vern Gagne or I don't know why he was sideways with Dana White or just with Howard Coase. Well, we've got to have the best. It, he considers the best person in, in whatever field of endeavor the most famous one, the the name, the recognition factor, the, you know, so with uh, Howard Cosell, I guess now people wouldn't, probably most people never even saw fucking Howard Cosell, but at one point in time, he was the most famous sports announcer and crossed over into probably the most famous television announcer in the United States, at least for a few years. And so he had to have him until he said, go, go fuck yourself. Makes you wonder what he thought at WrestleMania 2. Celebrity was such a big deal for him. WrestleMania 1, Mr. T at the height of his powers. You have Cindy Lauper at the height of her powers. Billy Martin, when the Yankee fans were really clamoring for more Billy Martin. Liberace. I guess in his own world, he was still a big deal. I don't, I don't know who the big Liberace fans are. Of everybody's grandmother. And in, 80, and in 85, grandmother still liked wrestling. WrestleMania 2. You have elusive burger man Herb. <laughs> like the the celebrity list just went way downhill. I forgot about that, but you know what? In, to to defend Herb, that commercial was everywhere. You couldn't fucking get away from it. Everybody knew who Herb was. Now, to did anybody want to see any more of Herb? Did anybody want to <laughs> see Herb on a wrestling program? Did no. anybody want to see Herb on a fucking three hour tour cruise? And get lost at sea, yes. But but so they knew who he was. He was the most famous fast food franchise mascot no. in the world at that point in time. Remember, they also had what's her name from Wendy's? Where's the beef? Clara Peller. They had her, but they couldn't say anything about Wendy's because they would get sued. So they're like, what they call her? Like famous burger woman. Famous beef lady. <laughs> <laughs> she was the original meat gentlewoman. All right. Uh, but, well, but a, anyway, I look at the celebrities uh, throughout the years in WWE. Bob Euchre was the unexpected great. He got it. He embraced it. He brought some gravitas to it in his own weird way. Yeah. Bob Euchre was one of the best. WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. He did. He did get it. And the famous shot of Andre with his hands around his neck. That was classic. Um, but then remember, though. At one point, they they could start getting away without having celebrities at WrestleMania. I think Vince was always frustrated because they didn't have any celebrities. But for a while, they'd get away with it because the product was so hot. And then they went back to celebrity. And then they had a celebrity on fucking Raw every Monday night for a while there. So it just became so overused, it wasn't even a, a attraction or even something to talk about anymore and eventually they just threw random like any celebrity they can get i was at wrestlemania 10 i had a great time great matches on that show i was happy to see brett win the title i was surprised all the sheets were basically saying it's gonna be luger yeah i was so happy and then all of a sudden it's like wait a minute why is donnie Wahlberg and nicholas turturro and who's that like just ran burt reynolds is there because he was down on his luck and a wrestling fan you had the double thing going there you had two things to get burt reynolds he was down on his luck and a wrestling fan, but it was just some random celebrity. Anyone they can get, they would throw on there. Tiny Tim, where's he? Let's get him on there. Was uh, with Pamela Anderson, the one she, was that a WrestleMania or was that? That was a Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble and a WrestleMania. Royal Rumble and, well, at one of them, 
I saw her standing, you know, backstage at the, she wandered by the monitor and started watching for a minute. Otherwise she was in a room somewhere. Um, she looked exactly like you would expect Pamela Anderson to look, but she looked also in her eyes, like she was just floating. Like she was like, what are my surroundings here? I have no idea what's going on in my Oh, come on. That, environment. Was, that wasn't a unique thing in that locker room in 1996. Let's be honest. I don't know. Most of the other guys looked like they could find their way back to the shitter if they had to, but she was, but anyway, nevertheless. All right. You're so, a big celebrity in your own right. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, you're the, you're I, the, I'm just friends the with a big celebrity. Vanguard network. I'm just friends with a big celebrity. I'm a, I'm a little nothing over here. Well, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little nothing. Sure <laughs> next time. Here is my hand over here. All right, so this is a tele uh, a television. This is a television this show. Is, Surprise! This is, a, this is a podcast about all the uh, the fine uh, stories that we've told about Vince McMahon over the last however long. But it, it, even though most of it, because we got to take some time off for the holidays, and we should mention also the drive-through uh, this week, as usual, be brand new content. We're only uh, uh, taking a couple of experiences off before the holidays because they fall on the actual holidays of Christmas and New Year's Day. The drive-through this week will be new and we will recap the week in wrestling. And uh, and also in this program there is going to be new content because as a bonus for the listeners, the cult the people have demanded it, the cult of cornet that we're going to have fresh commercial spots sprinkled through this broadcast today so you can look for those as bonus content what a tremendous gift well we try to be the people that keep on giving the gifts and if you've gotten the gifts we've been giving <laughs> you'll know they're really well given <laughs> gifts i was wondering how you were gonna shake your way out of that one. well and i certainly <laughs> did didn't i see well, that's good and exercise. folks i'll tell you you know because exercise is the key you got to keep your your mind sharp and you got to keep your body sharp and sometimes folks we all work too hard and don't work out enough we don't we don't exercise we don't take care of ourselves often i jog my memory but otherwise because let's face it i don't have the time to go out to a gym somewhere but thanks to our fine friends at echelon they can bring the gym home to you without the annoying parts, such as the other people in it. Because when you're trying to reach your fitness goals, Echelon can help. Not only can they bring the gym home to you, but also they can put you under the tutelage of world-class instructors, choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists with you in mind, and a community of literally hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. And if you're like me, I don't want hundreds of thousands of people pissed at me, but those hundreds of thousands of people are not coming to your home in person. As I understand, they just bring, Echelon brings the gym home to you, but the instructors and the hundreds of thousands of random strangers who will be pushing you, they are only virtual. They're on the internet. They're kept at arm's length away from you. So it's the best way and the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. That's Echelon. And those instructors have those riding crops, and they will make whipping sounds at you. No. Over the internet. No, they won't. To motivate you. That won't be happening. 
Unfortunately, you have to pay more money to get them to come and whip you in person. But that's a different service. That's a different service that Echelon may or may not perform in the future. No, Echelon, <laughs> they will not be performing that they'll service. They'll not be performing. That's somebody their else. Their service call. is very detailed, and uh, you have that in front of you. You know what their service is. It's a wonderful service. Well, it's it's a great service because they their fitness app provides you with thousands of live and on demand classes. Uh, you can work out anytime, day or night. You can pick your class, climb the leaderboard, and I'll tell you what: climbing that leaderboard, that son of a bitch will wear you out as it is, especially your legs. So that's the best exercise that I've gotten so far. But you can cheer each other on, or potentially berate each other, depending. I don't think they'll let you do it long, but if there's somebody that really pisses you off, you could get on them for a second before they figured it out. But you give this your all with these certified fitness instructors that are supportive, engaging, and fun. Supportive, engaging, and fun fitness instructors. I want demanding. I want actually <laughs> positively downright strict. And But anyway, nevertheless, they'll get you moving. And Echelon has a full range of affordable workout equipment, including stationary bikes. Don't expect to be able to get anywhere, but you will exercise. Smart rowers. They're the rowers that get somewhere instead of just wandering around in a circle. They've got sleek fitness screens, and every one of them are connected to the Echelon experience, much like the Jim Cornette experience, except they don't verbally Ow. berate you when you <laughs> fuck up. Around-the-clock classes for the family, including full-body workout programs. You know, they used to say in wrestling that everybody should sell an eye gouge because there's no eye machine at the gym. Well, Echelon has an eye machine. And one full body, everything in there from your nose to your toes. And some of the workout programs for some parts of your body, I'm talking about those those. Those taint pull-ups. We stop it. How you get the hook in there? Hey. Anyway, one membership. There are no hooks. There's no hooks, but it'll hook you in with the quality of their service. And one membership <laughs> covers a, a family. God damn you! One membership covers a family of five. It's a big thing, and it's on on uh, canvas, so it it swoops down over your entire family. <laughs> and right now, that's one membership. That boy, you ought to see the envelope it comes in. And right now, for a limited time only, possibly less time than even you and I realized, <laughs> podcast listeners will get up to $800 off MSRP. And you'll also get up to $800 off some of the stuff at Echelon. To get this exclusive podcast discount, you got to text the word DRIVE. That's because it's your show that they're primarily hooked to here. D-R-I-V-E. Text the word DRIVE yes. to 818181. DRIVE to 818181. Do not drive to Interstate 81 <laughs> because then you'll be headed either to Virginia or Tennessee, depending on which direction you're going. Uh, text the word DRIVE to 818181 and get up to $800 <laughs> off that good old MSRP on Echelon workout equipment, the incredible way to bring the gym home to you and get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation in the comfort of your own home. If your home is not comfortable, then see a contractor. There's nothing Echelon can do for you, but they'll build your muscles up so you can tear that crummy drywall out and put up some good stuff. 
Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. All right. We somehow got through that. It's a wonderful uh, service that Echelon has. Everyone should check it out. They should have a, a Bill Watts coach. You know, pick that up, you pussy. You know, just yeah. Somebody, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're a flake, boy. Hey, <laughs> let me show you how to lay that kick in. <laughs> Buddy, put your head down there. Well, as we uh, get going here, we're about to talk about someone else who just loves the workout. Apparently in the middle of the night. When he probably, now looking back, probably should have been sleeping. He probably shouldn't gotten all that sleep that he missed out on. Of course, we're talking about Vince McMahon. Well, a second Vince McMahon question from Jack here. Vin, uh, Vince. Vince. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Excuse me, Jim. Thank you, pal. Jack's second question here. Would you please tell the story of when you rode with Vince and how much he scared the shit out of you? Oh, good God. Um. Well, everybody knows... <laughs> That's been around Vince for any length of time. Yes, he, he likes to be in control, and he also believes that he is the best in the world at everything and is completely invulnerable and invincible. And uh, told the story about when we were misdirected on a flight because of weather. We were going back from somewhere, a, a, a television taping, back into the Northeast, and we were supposed to go to Newark, I believe it was, but the weather, all the Northeast airports, New York area is just fucked and can't go to Newark and can't go to LaGuardia and can't go to what was the Kennedy back there, whatever the third airport is. What is it up there? It's Kennedy. I'm asking you. It's yeah, Kennedy. It's okay. Newark, LaGuardia and Kennedy. All right. Well, we never used Kennedy anyway, but anyway, um, so they make this announcement on the plane. And of course, Vince is sitting there in first class and I'm, I'm a couple rows back. I think I might have upgraded with my frequent flyer or whatever, right? But Vince hits his button, calls the stewardess over. I see the conversation. She walks off. A few minutes later, he's looking around like, you know, nothing's happening. He gets up, goes up, knocks on the cockpit door. And this was pre-9-11, but still, it's not exactly the fucking protocol that the passengers could just go knock on the fucking cockpit door and talk to the captain. Apparently he had demanded that the, from the stewardess that she get one of the pilots to come out and explain why that we couldn't go to fucking white plains. It was just right, just right up the road. Cause he wants to get back and work a half a day at the office. And now this is, if we're rerouted to Albany, which was their plan, this is not going to happen. Cause it's a, it's 180 miles. And he's knocking on a door and people start coming and they, and finally one of the pilots comes out and does indeed talk to him and talks him and says, look, we can't do anything else. This is what we got to do. I'm like, motherfucker, I don't care if we go to Des Moines, if it's good weather, it's not land in a fucking thunderstorm, right? I don't, I don't love to work that much. So then we, they take us to Albany. Oh, we're going to have to rent a car to get back. Now he's pissed because he's missed the afternoon of work at the office. Because by the time we get in the car in Albany, it's fucking one o'clock. What right? So we're we're not going to get back till four thirty ish, and it's pouring rain. <clears throat> well, he gets he's all drive, and I'm back in the back seat with Bruce. Jr's up in the front, and Vince is driving. I'm people exaggerate and say hundred miles an hour. He may have hit that in a couple of the straight stretches, but he's doing consistently eighty five or ninety in the fucking rain. I'm back there. My asshole has fucking clinched up six square yards of the fucking upholstery material, and I'm gripping the fucking seat. And everybody else is just trying to look at their shit to, you know, avoid having to fucking deal with the obvious fact that we're being piloted by a lunatic, right? And he's a great driver, 
but still, fuck. So that's, we got back in record time, like two and a half hours from Albany, New York to Stamford, Connecticut. And that is when I decided I'm going to do everything at all costs to avoid riding with Vince McMahon from now on. And then J- Jim Ross was uh, later sometime, it may have been a year or two later, I think his phrase to Vince was, Vince, I, I love you and you're a friend of mine, but I love my children also and I want to see them again. So I'm not going to ride with you anymore. And and Bruce would have let him strap him to the fucking fender like a deer and do whatever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But it just, because he had no fear of anything. He thought he was, if if he's going to drive, he's the best driver in the world. He, the laws don't apply to him. There was a time that cop pulled him over and gave him the ticket for speeding. And it's like, I've told that story. I won't chew my food twice, but finally this poor rookie cop been on the fucking job two days. It looked like. When he fucking finishes, and Vince is fuming because now we're sitting on the side of the road instead of going. So when he finishes writing the ticket, he hands it to Vince and his stock line they've taught him in trooper school is, if you don't have any more questions, sir, you're free to go. And Vince snatches that fucking ticket out of his hand, throws it on the goddamn dashboard, doesn't say a word with that disgusted Vince look on his face, pops it into drive, spins out on the shoulder the fucking gravel flying everywhere and back on the interstate doing 70 miles an hour. I turn around in time to see that fucking cop doing the hop and skip to avoid the gravel in his eyes and nuts and just standing there with his hands at his sides, staring at Vin. I'm like, motherfucker, why would you not get in the car and chase this guy down again? <laughs> if it'd been me, he would have put me under the jail, but it's Vince. He just is. And he didn't even know who Vince McMahon was. It just the power of that personality. The cop didn't want any more fucking Vince. Just let him do what he's going to do. Didn't Harley race have a similar reputation for driving? Oh God, I never rode with Harley, but yes, he did probably faster. And the one thing Vince would never be drunk while he was driving Har- Well, Harley might not be drunk, but he would be drinking. Um, yeah. A hundred miles an hour everywhere in a boat or a fucking car or whatever. On in a snowstorm, yeah. on the side of the road, <laughs> making his own roads. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, and, and, you know, imagine this, Harley been in several near fatal car wrecks going all the way back when he first got into business that killed his wife and daughter. And I'm not saying this was his fault. I don't know what it was when he was very young. Uh, but they said he'd never walk again and they were going to cut his fucking leg off. And Gus Karras, the promoter from Kansas city came in and said, fuck you. You're not. And took him out of that hospital and took him to his own doctor and saved his wrestling career. Yeah. And of course he started by driving happy Humphrey around. That must've been an adventure. And, and he would also have to, cause Humphrey couldn't get in the fucking showers at the buildings half the time. So he'd have to do the wash off like the circus elephants with the garden hose for happy Humphrey, who was 800 and what, two pounds, William J. Cobb of Macon, Georgia. I just found an issue of wrestling confidential from 64 that covers happy Humphrey's stay at a weight loss center in, I think Atlanta. And he had dropped 400 pounds. He was 400 pounds. He still looked huge. But he was clearly half the size he had previously been. Well, and in when I first started getting the Guinness Book of World Records in the early 70s, because I used to get every year when it came out, I had to see who'd broken what, right? He was down in one of them, if I'm not mistaken, for not only being 802 pounds at the time in the 50s was the heaviest human ever recorded also, but but then for losing 
like almost 600 pounds at one point, which is why he disappeared from wrestling because what, why do you need a 200 pound happy Humphrey? What's the worst thing you saw Vince McMahon eat? Oh God. Um, well, he never ate anything bad, but you know, just the, like when we'd go to lunch, if we'd, if we were at his place and we would go down to the little country store down the road and i don't know why this place is in greenwich because it looks like just a little hole in the wall but they had good lunch they had a good lunch counter anyway i'd get chicken fingers or a cheesesteak or something i can't remember what brother brucey would get vince would get a giant turkey sandwich with like double the turkey on fucking white bread with a little mustard and it, it and he would sit there. He'd take it and t- take half the sandwich and eat it in two or three bites because he didn't want to enjoy eating. He just stuffed it in and ate it as quickly as possible because it's fuel. He ate the way most people fill their car up with gas. Stick the fucking nozzle in, shoot the shit in, get out of there as quickly as possible. It was just it, he didn't take pleasure in eating. He just stuffed it in because it was fuel and protein. And if he went out for a steak, he'd eat a bunch of fucking steak. <clears throat> but he wouldn't really, you know, I mean, he wouldn't go crazy with the sides and the butter on the baked potato and everything. And he wouldn't savor everything. He'd just, he'd eat it because it's fuel. He he li- he ate to live rather than live to eat. Was it uncomfortable eating around him? And he would, well, yeah, kind of, you know, you'd see him every once in a while looking at you like, like you're fucking eating monkey shit when you're having a fucking fried chicken finger or whatever. <laughs> Uh, but I, and then he would eat, he'd have these power bars, the fucking protein bars and the power bars in his briefcase. And if somebody else popped out a fucking candy bar or whatever as a snack, that's what he would go to. And they, and, and, and just trying to, you've seen trying to chew them and you think, God damn, that must be like eating roofing towel rolled in alfalfa. Jim, you, but, were, you were all grown men. Who's pulling out a candy bar? Um, well, I mean, if somebody had a snack or something, if they had, you know, other people might eat a bag of chips or might eat a fucking Reese cup or might eat whatever he's got. Goddamn these power bars is what he called them. I don't, but the, some of those fucking, it looks like bran and granola and covered with something that's alleged to be chocolate flavored. I don't fucking know. But you never saw him just go crazy one day and eat like a whole row of Oreos or a pizza. Oh God, no, no, never. No, no. Not that I could ever remember. Have you ever seen him consume alcohol? Um, thankfully, the private plane and all of that activity w- was not uh, a thing when I was there, and I never went to bars and etc. So, so no, I don't know that I've ever seen him take a drink. I know that he has, but as far as 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 eating, no, I don't remember ever seeing him eat. I mean, when. There's another thing when, if you would go like after a show, if he'd insist on going to fucking Denny's or whatever, you know, you're going to be there an hour and a half. Cause he's going to order everything modified. All the eggs have to be egg whites only and this and that and the other fucking thing to, to follow his diet. Even if he's at fucking Denny's at one in the morning. So Denny's, but you never went to like a waffle house when you were in the South with Vince after. No, 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 that I would actually, I, I now would have paid money if I could have done that now that I. <laughs> What would he have ordered? He'd ordered us to leave. Is what he'd ordered. <laughs> All right. Well, he saw the fucking menu scattered, smothered, covered, and chunked. What's that, pal? Well, they fucking put it on the griddle and they spray a little oil on it, and then they 
hash it, hash brown it up with some fucking onions and some cheese and some what we believe to be ham. And, and, and oh, oh, my God. This was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Anthony Del Cello. In a recent interview, former WWE creative team member Jimmy Jacobs recounted how Vince McMahon once almost fired one of his writers for not knocking on his office door before coming in with a scripted promo that <laughs> Vince had requested. Jacobs stated that, quote, you are always one weird interaction with Vince away from losing your job. My question is, did Vince react in the same way if you or anybody else in the 90s would enter his office without knocking? If not, what the hell has happened to Vince? Does he secretly despise modern members of his creative team? I, you know, I don't, I keep hearing all these stories that Vince is so touchy and he just snaps off in an instant. I never saw that Vince. He would snap off, but it wasn't just willy nilly and, you know, over something like that. Um, I mean, under the normal course of things, people knocked on his door, but at the same time, if it was me or Bruce or JR or something, we left our stuff in there. We, we just gone to piss. We come back in because we've been in there. I, you know, but I didn't, I never knew Vince, at least in my periphery, to be that fucking touchy and ready to snap at people. Um, if he saw something he didn't like, or wanted done over, he might be snippy or snappy, but it wasn't just like some guy bumbles in the back door and he's the Mr. McMahon character instantly to the guy. You know, I don't, uh, I didn't see that, but, but, you know, maybe he's, as he's, Vince is the kind of guy, he even said this one time in a magazine interview, he was quoted as saying, I believe when I die, I will be, I will die a very miserable unfulfilled man because there's so many more things I want to do. That's why he never fucking stops working. He never quits, whatever. And maybe now he's just crankier and snippier because he knows he's 20 years shorter of time to do all that shit. He ain't got time to do. And he's like, Oh, you motherfucker, you're fucking taking up my time. I don't know, but I, I'd never, I never had Vince snap at me or uh, anybody that I'm thinking trying to remember for just any just stupid insignificant thing like your you know your wife at a certain time of the month or whatever he wasn't that that snippy how was his memory back then seemed to be pretty good also you know i mean it, it, everybody gets older and gets a little forgetful and he's on the second half of the 70s now so you know, that, that can go also, but I mean, it's not like he could sit there and quote, you know, complete results of Madison square garden shows for 1966. But you know, his memory was pretty good when I was around him, especially if, if, uh, somebody had, had done something in the past that he was not happy with. He had a good memory for that stuff. Well, you know, let me ask you about that because there's always been a story or I shouldn't say a story, but this it's always been said that. If someone did a shoot interview or someone went out there and talked about something they had a problem with Vince or said something bad about him, that was the guy he wanted to hire back, as opposed to someone like Bobby Heenan, who never said a bad word about Vince and Vince never brought him back. You know, you mentioned how he would get mad about certain people doing certain things. Did you ever see any signs of that about him wanting to bring back people who had pissed him off or had said things about him? And what if, if he did for that reason, he never said it out loud. Uh, so I never really equate it just, that's one of those things where it it's, 
it's it's a not a stereotype, but a rule of thumb that really just kind of becomes true because people say it over and over because think of all the people that have said bad shit about him and he still hired him back. Uh, and that works both ways. I know. Yes, they said bad shit and still went back, but they said bad shit and he still hired him back. Uh, but it's just like one of the, well, wouldn't you know, it always rains when I get my car washed. Well, what do you know? Vince always hires the ones back that docked him. I, it, unless somebody prints it out on a piece of paper or holds some video tablet or some type of screen in front of Vince and makes him watch a specific clip or statement or read a transcription of something that ain't very long, I guarantee you Vince McMahon has never seen a comment on a shoot interview in his life of anybody's. Who would be that person to put that in front of him, you think? Well, any stooge wanting to suck up by, you know, taking advantage of somebody else's misery or, <laughs> or I mean, you know, I, I, I told him I had to, I I've told everybody, I showed him the only clip of ECW television he'd ever seen when, when he said, Oh, I guess because Bruce was a fan of that horse shit and then long came shit stain and the ship was sunk, but for balance, he said, well, you know, they want us to work with the ECW. I said, you hear, here's what was on ECW TV last night. And I put in that thing with Alfonso and Beulah where Alfonso was run through a razor blade factory and squirting blood everywhere and all the fucking garbage. And I said, this is what you're wanting to fucking, they're wanting you to work with. Just want to make sure we have all sides represented. Uh, so anyway, it, but it depends to work with. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it depends on what's what, uh, which one of the, uh, the stooge patrol is wanting to push, which agenda positive or negative. When you were there, who was the biggest Vince stooge? Um, really, as far as, as relaying quotes or what people are saying, he was actually official was Howard Finkel. Because Finkel every morning did the Finkel report. You're aware of this, right? Yes. The Finkel report was basically a typed out sheet of however long Howard would get to the office in Stanford, sometimes before 6 a.m. So that because back then, obviously, there was very little Internet and he started before there was Internet. He would call the wrestling hotlines when they still had the phone lines or he subscribed to all the uh, sheets and he and the newsletters and he would transcribe pertinent things or pithy comments about anything that Vince might want to know is being said into what was called the Finkel report. And he'd type it out and by the time everybody get it got in at nine o'clock in the morning, the Finkel report would be in everybody's box and Vince, if he cared to that day, look at it, kind of like Trump's presidential briefings. You know, he would scan through it, but it was just something circulated with the anything that was affecting the WWF or what Vince might want to know about. But I don't think that he particularly gave a shit about anybody's comments as much as just keeping track of the tone of what people were saying about various things. To all the people that say Bruce Pritchard was nothing but an ass kisser, did Bruce, in fact, kiss his ass more than everyone else? That's probably fair. I think just over... Over the length of time that he was there and the the shrinkage of his balls as time went on, um, and, and Bruce will say, well, I got fired a couple of times. But Vince only fired him once. Stephanie fired him the other time. And it, 
here's a, this is a side note, but I've never understood actually going back somewhere when somebody fires you and you think it's going to work out good again. I don't, I've never done that. It's only, I've gone to the same company with all different people a time or two, but I digress. But anyway, um, but yeah, Jr. would stand up to him, uh, ever so often. And Pat never kissed his ass. Pat's just so friendly and nice and, and just cool that, you know, he doesn't get heat with anybody. Um, R- Russo blatantly, blatantly, blatantly kissed ass, but he wasn't there long enough. Bruce went decades of high quality puckering. So I think overall, yeah, probably. Okay. Well, our next question, Jim sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com was sent by John in Walker town, excuse me, Walker town, North Carolina. I can't speak. There's anger in my teeth. Why does Vince McMahon... <laughs> so you've got angry teeth? I've got angry teeth today. Why does Vince McMahon enjoy changing the names of all of his wrestlers? Recently, Buddy Murphy had his first name dropped and is now known as Murphy. Oh, God. Bobby Roode was changed to Robert Roode. Chad Gable was changed to Shorty G, which is maybe the worst of them all. Yeah. I get the change for copyright reasons. But why change the name if WWE holds the copyright for the original? Well, and if Robert Roode was Robert Roode because he was more distinct. Like, a, you know, it, Robert Roode, like when Terry Taylor switched heel in WCW and he became Terrence Taylor. You know, it's just a more lofty, snooty type of fucking presentation. And, and, and Bobby Roode is an incredible talent. And I've always been a fan of his. I don't, whatever they call him, as long as they push him, right? He's fucking insanely good. I, as a matter of fact, I always thought that he was the second coming of Arn Anderson. Always knows where he is in the ring. Never makes a mistake. Incredible body language. Even when he's confused because somebody's doing some crazy shit around him, you can't tell he's lost. He just, he's incredible. Uh, so whatever, you know, <clears throat> they can do to accentuate his presentation, great. But the other ones, yeah, they're just burying those guys. I don't know why. I don't. Somebody having one name, yes, it works for Cher. It works for Liberace, whatever the fuck. It doesn't work for Murphy. Murphy? or And and Shorty G is just, I guess he pissed somebody off and they just wrote him off. And as I recall, he's a pretty good young talent. Very good, yeah. Um, But, you know, nobody, it's like, it's like the Republicans. Boy, Trump and Vince are so similar it's like the republicans just lying straight out of their ass like they do every time they go out in public and expecting people not to to see it and to say what the fuck they they just oh this will be better and they know it's not going to be better they know they're assing off with some guy or they're fucking with some guy shorty g is not better than chad gable they know that and they know everybody's going to laugh at him that's what they're going for for whatever fucking reason because they maybe he's too good of an athlete but he's not entertaining enough so the writers don't like him or whatever the fuck. But, and, and somebody, I don't even know that Vince knows about these things anymore because used to, he would have, but now he's so far above everything. Um, I think they just, they just do it because some fucking twerp. It's never been in a goddamn men's locker room before has become a wrestling writer and decides that it might be funny, you know, which is why they all ought to be fucking run through a razor blade factory and then dipped in a goddamn gallon of alcohol. But that's just my opinion about the wrestling writers. Okay, well, we're talking about Vince here and his propensity for... 
Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't even know if Vince knows that Shorty Gable or Chad Gable became became Shorty G. But beyond that, the whole getting rid of... I don't think he cares. Who gives a shit? Like Cesaro was originally, what, Antonio Cesaro? Rusev was Alexander Rusev. And all of a sudden, he gets some kind of hitch where he's like, you know what? They can't have a first name. It's not marketable. Well, and, and in that case, yeah, you know, with those guys, he I don't know. I can't explain it to you. It's just these fucking, you know, when Vince wakes up and decides, okay, all the plan that these two big hotshot executives have set up, I don't like, we're going to do it differently. You're fired. And he just does that sometimes. He gets, you should have seen me look at him like he had a steaming turd hanging out of his mouth when I was there the first time he said, don't call it a hospital, call it a medical facility. He said, it sounds fake if say hospital. It's like old wrestling stuff. I said, Vince, have you ever heard anybody say, oh my God, I'm hurt. Take me to the medical facility. And he just looked at me like I was an idiot because I was telling the truth. Medical facility, pal. It's, it's, not, it's not insulting their intelligence by saying they're being hospitalized. What the fuck? Okay, it's insulting their intelligence by making up a medical facility to take them to for their phony injury. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. It, can you can you tell why I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there? I have a pretty good understanding. Let's get out of this question. A lot of people have still been talking about and use they they had the WWE earnings call, the WWE stock and the network and the OTT services and now Vince has <laughs> made the announcement are are they nobody knows what to think are they taking the pay-per-views off of the network are they going to amazon are they going to peacock are they going to fuck, whatever the fuck they're going to you've seen this have you not uh mr last i have peacock peacock is going to be the new streaming service from nbc universal oh, which makes sense yeah i guess so and that is the one that the fine folks at pw insider who have a grip on these things and actually understand how the internet works uh think is the best bet that Vince is talking about, <laughs> but obviously the stock is like it, it, at 50% of what it was, what a couple months ago or whenever. And it took a real big hit when Michelle Wilson and George barrier reef got shown the door. Uh, we talked about that on the drive through, how they pay these fucking executives $15 million a year and the wrestlers get, you know, <laughs> bupkis. And there's a lot more. I'm not saying that it doesn't take talent and smarts and et cetera to be a great business executive. I'm just saying there's a lot more of them in the world and there is great wrestlers. But the business executives in that company, because it's all the same, they, they, the people running the fucking show are business people and they think the business people are more valuable. So they pay them millions of dollars in benefits and insurance and everything. And the wrestlers, just because that's exactly what we're selling in our entire product, <clears throat> they don't get a lot of money because what the fuck are they? They are wrestlers, you know. So that's that's where we're at, and that's where anybody that wants to work for the WWE or any other major corporation—that's what they need to know. That's how diluted their thinking is. It's you know. So anyway, the, the Wall Street did not appreciate the two top. To their mind, the two main event people in the company getting fucking booted by Vince. But I'm now that they've made the statement about, well, are they going to fiddle with the network? Are they going to go to uh, over-the-top streaming services? What are they going to do? I'm reading, knowing Vince a little bit, I'm reading his mind. And I think I'm seeing where this has gone. Because probably Wilson and Berrios 
we're like, hey, we've got a long-term plan. We've planned this out. We've strategically done this and that. We think, you know, this is the way forward. And instead, Vince woke up one morning and said, we can get $500 million from one of these fuckers for our streaming, so we'll do that. And they're like, Vince? And he's like, well, you don't want to do it, pal. See you later. Need to get with the program. And he just makes decisions like that. And now it's it's starting to show that you could make decisions like that when you ran the whole fucking thing and had to answer to nobody and et cetera. But now after the stock scam, you know, publicly traded wrestling companies, fuck, fuck. But after all this, you know, normal outside people are looking, going, well, you know, what the fuck are they doing? They can't just change direction on a dime. That's why the stock price went down. <clears throat> so Vince wants to, you know, to play in this world. He, he can't do that shit anymore, which is why wrestling should never wrestling. Not only should never be national for one thing, but wrestling should never be publicly traded because then you can't offend anybody for fuck's sake. And then where are you at? But it, it, the, the tiered network and all this stuff they've been planning. I can see where can't you, if, if they had had this long-term strategic plan for all this net and the other thing and thought it was valid and Vince just says, now nah, let's do something different one day. You can see where there might be some conflict. Yeah. Although to me, the tiered network, I guess they would add extra services. If you paid a little bit more, they're basically not addressing a real problem, which is everybody's problem. They're trying to get more money out of the people that exist instead of trying to get more people. Just like every other wrestling promotion is doing, because that's what we're down to now. And we're going to go into that more heavily when we talk about all petite wrestling, but it's never been more, plain and obvious for the kind of people who like this kind of thing. That's the kind of thing those people like, but there's fewer and fewer of them and they're trying to get them to spend more and more money per head. And sooner or later, there's going to be, what do they call it? A tipping point or just a, you know, what the fuck do you think? We're all Nelson fucking Rockefeller around here. We got millions of dollars spent on this shit. No, you need multiple millions of people instead of people with multiple millions of dollars. Because the multiple millions of people, there's more of them than there is the people with the multiple millions of dollars. But I I don't know how that a tiered network is going to solve anything when what else can they give people that they've already given them the entire library that's up for grabs that they've digitized and got ready on the network. They've already given them all the pay-per-views. They've already given them all these specials, $9.95 a month. They think just because they give them a few independent groups from fucking England that are willing to work with them and that they don't view as a threat so that they'll put them on the network, that that's going to be worth an extra of however much per month. I, I, <clears throat> I don't think there's enough people that, you know, that's going to make a big difference. And, you know, but yeah, you know, as far as the WWE network goes, I don't see what they can put on now that that drastically imp- increases the value besides a bunch of independent shows like I said that from England or wherever that yes, some people want to see those but not in great numbers. It's not like they're adding, "Oh, we've just found 20 new WrestleManias." You know, and that's so now they're stuck. So now Vince wants to fucking just blow the whole thing up. He I've I've said Vince is like Donald Trump except he knows you know, more words, he's smarter, smoother, and has better manners, but he still wants to blow everything up on a whim just because he, you know, gets an idea. So I, I don't see where they're going to, the stock price will be interesting for a while is all I've got to say is all I got to say about that. And a lot of calls on that, uh, conference call, the, um, earnings call wondering about 
the XFL. How does this affect everything? And Vince kept well, saying yeah, it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't. It's a different staff. Different. That's another. He's got such a fucking grudge. This thing didn't fly. Who gives a fuck about fucking football? And he's seventy-five years old, and he's a billionaire, and he's going to work himself to death trying to fucking do the you know redo something that he just he didn't that didn't work. You know, Jim. A lot has been said about Vince McMahon's taste in food or lack of taste in food. We've heard about you and various other people spending a day at the house and going and getting. I guess you were getting okay food. He was getting a very dry, dry, dry lunch. I I would go down. There's a, there was a little store, a little uh, country store, Connecticut style, right? The old Connecticut road there that he lived on. Uh, had probably been there for ages. And they had the deli counter, and they also had the uh, you know the 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 fry area and a little lunch counter there. And I'd get a. Philly cheesesteak, or maybe I'd get the chicken fingers, or I'd get, you know, what a, a burger, something, everything. This he and he would take me and Bruce or, or Shitstain or whoever was, you know, working with him at the time, and and he'd pay for everybody's lunch. He would invariably get a turkey sandwich on white bread with a light mustard. Because there he gets his protein. There's no fat going on. I'm surprised he didn't get rye or wheat yeah. or something, but he would get white bread. But that's, that's what I was, was going to say. That was only actually to give him something so his hands wouldn't touch the turkey, I think. And he would eat the whole goddamn sandwich in like six bites. And he's it's it's fuel. It's fuel, pal. It's, he did. Who's My he mother, kidding? Who's he kidding? He goes to Betty has a bunch of Oreos. Well, and see, that's that's somebody said uh, asked him that question one time. He said, "Well, if I'm going to cheat, I'll eat a whole box of Oreos at one time." I'm sure he you see? did, <laughs> but I've never seen him do it. Um, you know, he would probably, oh, good lord, I'm a junk food junkie. Good lord, have pity on me. In the middle of the night, he's eating the Oreos. But that was the thing because as Mama Cornette used to say about me, Jimmy, you live to eat. But Vince eats to live. It's fuel that is necessary for him to intake in order to have the energy to work out and work. That's that's what it is. But having said that, it's not that Vince is not, it will just eat any shit because he doesn't care. He it has to be usually either expensive or very low fucking everything. Uh, but it, if he picks where to go out for dinner or just a meal it's invariably a steakhouse and then he'll get the big giant steak and fucking sit and eat that in giant bites also but that makes him feel like a, a carnivore you know because that's but there's a big but difference it's still, too it's not like he's he's going out and eating just some kind of poofter's old french toast or anything well, there's a big difference, too, between a, you know, a turkey sandwich in the afternoon and a nice big old steak for dinner. Well, but but it's still, it's intake for him. But most normal people want to savor the experience. But, oh, you know, he'll just he'll get it because he's, he's attacking the meal like he attacks his work, like he attacks his opponents, like he attacks the day. But, folks, if you don't want to be attacked because you can't pay your bills, you don't want to go to the steakhouses that Vince McMahon goes to. Oh, no, you don't, because they will break your bank, but you can still eat 
like you're going to a fancy steakhouse and you don't even have to walk out your front door because they'll bring it to your front door. Of course, Brian, I'm talking about our friends at Omaha Steaks. And I'll have you know that several days before Christmas, we could not wait. And we went ahead and broke into the Omaha Steaks that we had been saving for our Christmas dinner and had several of the, uh, well, I won't, Stacy had one. I had the remaining number of these things. I won't mention the exact number that were eaten. The bacon-wrapped filet mignons. Oh, boy, howdy. And we had some of those along with the individual scalloped potatoes and made sure to season them liberally with the Omaha Steaks seasoning and our lips smacked our brains out. And the same thing can happen to you guys because Omaha Steaks is ready to ship today. You may have missed Christmas, but you, what better for a new year than to eat steak? Because you know what Mama Cornette used to say, what you do on New Year's Day, you'll do all year long. So eat steak. Folks, if you go to omahasteaks.com right now and enter JCE into the search bar, you can save over 50% on the perfect gift package. The perfect gift package contains, <laughs> what taking a big breath here, four bacon-wrapped filet mignons, four boneless chicken breasts, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, four individual scalloped potatoes, four caramel apple tartlets, one jar of signature seasoning, and if you put that JCE in the search bar, another eight free Omaha Steaks burgers in oh, that man. package. I mean, literally, you could take this into a bomb shelter and you could be poor old Burgess Meredith in time enough at last and you wouldn't starve for months. Folks, again, omahasteaks.com, the keyword JCE in the search bar. They're ready to ship today. You don't have to worry about this taking till Valentine's Day because they do this shit for a living, folks. They know how to get it to you and fresh and packaged for either freezer or grill. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword JCE in the search bar, 50% off the perfect gift package for all that food, only $99.99 to your door. And it's got cold air and automatic transmission. Folks, you're going to enjoy those steaks as you stick them down your gullets, you gluttonous gourmets. All right. Well, let's uh, hear from, I was going to say another gluttonous gourmet, but he's really not. Either of those, certainly not the galloping gourmet, maybe the gourmet of hit and miss wrestling. I guess we can call Okay, that. wait a minute. What was the name of the galloping gourmet, Brian Last? Graham Kerr. God damn you. I loved the, gra the galloping. I, I, I love the galloping gourmet. I, was, I, I used to love watching him. Look, galloping gourmet? Yeah, I used to love watching the uh, galloping gourmet. The galloping gourmet used to gallop across the TV screen, grilling gourmet uh, vittles. I couldn't think of a G word for food. He was great like, when he was drunk. And then after he had the stroke, yeah. not so much. Well, uh, it, it, and he had a little droop to him then, didn't he? I remember. Thank you. I didn't remember that about. I always remembered Graham Karen happier days. But now you've put <laughs> a picture in my mind of him as a disabled, older, stroke ridden individual. And now that's a great thing to think about for the holidays. I've never seen a chef jump over a chair better than he did. But the, gallop, a gal I guess not jump. He galloped over the chair. Hey, they should have called him the Canterbury Cook. 
Why would they call him that? He was the he galloping the, gourmet. He had, he had Kenny Olivier's little canter where he just did a little skip <laughs> over the canter. Oh, the canter. If anything, Omega has his canter, not the other way around. He came first and he was in syndication. Well, I guess he. So the galloping gourmet came first and emitted Kenny Olivier. That may, there may be truth to that. You know, maybe I'm too hard on Omega. If his influences are really Graham Kerr and Harpo Marx, I mean, those are my influences. I don't know, maybe I'm too hard on him. He didn't take their best points. No, he didn't. But Vince McMahon certainly didn't take the best points of many wrestlers that he stole from many promotions over the years. Let's find out what tale we're going to hear next about Vince McMahon. Our next question, Jim, sent in to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from John in Detroit, Michigan. I've watched a Scott Hall shoot interview where he says that when he went to the WWF to get hired, he did a Tony Montana Scarface impression in front of Vince, who apparently didn't know about the movie or the character, and that was the genesis of Razor Ramon. I also remember from 2006 when Paul Burchill was dressed as Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean films. They gave him entrance music directly ripped from the Hans Zimmer scores of those movies. News sites at the time said that the gimmick was dropped because nobody told Vince it was all from a movie franchise he had never seen. In your time at WWE, was Vince totally out of touch with movies and pop culture like this? Well, I can tell you that I've never seen the goddamn movie either and never saw Paul Burchill as a pirate because I didn't watch any of that shit. Um, But I can believe it. You know, yeah, they probably, well, first of all, with the, the Razor Ramon thing, he was doing, what was he doing in WCW? The Diamond Stud? The Diamond Stud, yes. And and Scott Hall has, I don't, I don't even know if I'd call it an accent, but just a way of speaking normally that kind of lent himself to doing a little fucking Tony Montana type of, you know, accent thing. And I think he just looked like that and he just probably did it. And Vince said, yeah, you know, what the fuck? And there you go. Uh, with the with the stuff with Birchall, I can believe it because I don't know that I ever heard Vince talk about ever seeing a movie. I mean, I haven't seen a lot in a, a while because nothing interests me, to be quite honest. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bruce used to joke that Vince hadn't gone to the grocery for himself since 1984, and it was 1996 at that time, and I can believe that too. I couldn't see Vince in a fucking grocery. So, but I can also see that if he found out, well, fuck these fucking high paid writers that I've got are just fucking ripping off a goddamn movie. Fuck you. Do something on your own. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's entirely believable. All those times you were at Vince's house, did he ever watch TV? No. The, in, unless we had to watch a clip of something, which we'd go and put in the VCR. There wasn't a TV in the room when we were writing. I wish there had been. I could have fucking paid attention to something else besides fucking shit stain every once in a while. Uh, remember I told you the time me and Bruce and Vince are sitting there. I don't can't remember if shit stain was there by then or not. And the cable guy comes in and Vince says, yeah, right back there, pal. Cause he had a living room behind. We would sit at his small dining room table and, and that was off the kitchen. And then he had a, like a living room area in the back <laughs> and he'd say right back there, pal, no audio. And the cable guy goes back and he comes back in like 45 seconds with the remote in his hand. He says, sir, see this, this button that says mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he, 
He handed the guy hundred. He called the cable company because he couldn't get any audio on his television. It was the fucking mute button. And he gave the guy a hundred dollar tip when he left. That's ridiculous. He did. That's, <laughs> that is ridiculous. I mean, I, I guess if there, you know, it was some big sporting event or he'd want to watch the Super Bowl or whatever, but I don't remember him ever saying he had watched anything on television or seeing him watch anything on television except a wrestling you know, production of some kind, usually that he was involved in. He didn't watch other wrestling, but every once in a while you could make him watch a tape of some specific guy. Our next question, Jim sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Corey in New Jersey. Jim, many people have said Vince McMahon could be a unique individual to deal with. <laughs> but my question is with Vince being so wealthy, and seemingly so aloof from the mundane, what would Vince carry in his wallet if you ever saw it? Did he carry cash? Family photos? Lots of credit cards? What else would you say Vince normally carried in his pockets daily? Oh, God. Well, I've seen his wallet many times, and he carries a... a, a well, dep- I, if he's fucking going to the... You know, the little convenience store down from his house to get a turkey sandwich, he might not have $5,000 on him, but he's always got money and he has plenty of credit cards. I didn't ever go through Vince's wallet, so I don't know about his family pictures. It wasn't like he ever pulled any out and said, hey, look at Stephanie when she was four because we're too busy fucking working. Um, I've mentioned he doesn't often do things out in public for himself anymore, such as going, I think Bruce said in 1984 was the last time he'd been to the grocery. I believed it. Uh, they had a live in couple that did those type of things. Um, but Vince, he's got some kind of membership or in or something. I didn't even know they had this, the Hertz. I don't even know whether it's platinum or diamond or just Hertz, you know, big fucking millionaire shot fucking card. But I found it out one time, you know, he always likes to cut it close to get into the airport. And I'm always wanting to be there two hours early so I can calm down and, you know, meditate. He's like three seconds away from the fucking plane. We don't care. So we're late one time. It's me and Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard, and Vince in, in Vince's rental car. And I said, Vince, I don't think we're going to make this flight by the time we drop the car off. And he said, I'll just leave it out front. What? He had some kind of arrangement with Hertz. Wherever he leaves the goddamn rental car is wherever he leaves the goddamn rental car, whether it's out front of the fucking airport, whether it's downtown at his hotel, whether it's, I don't know, a crack neighborhood. I don't Apparently he said, I can leave this car anywhere I want to. They'll come get it. And he, <laughs> I was driving, right? And he said, just pull up here. And this is before 9-11. Yes. Right. But he, we pulled up to the end of where you've checked baggage in just the end, not right in front of the counter, but the end, he said, leave it here. I'll call and let him know. Is it there? Take the key, drop the keys off. Right. I've got the keys. Well, I'm so fucking panicked by the time I get my bags and we've just left this car on the fucking sidewalk and I'm so bum fuzzled and we're running through to catch. I forget to drop the keys in the basket. So I still have the keys to that rental car in my office on one of the shelves. Cause he said, just drop the keys in the basket. They'll come get it. Well, I've still got the keys. I don't know whether they ever got it or not. I don't think he cared. He would just leave them. If that's if, if, once it, it, it's kind of like a metaphor for the wrestlers. Once the rental car had outlived its usefulness, he just left it where it was. What kind of car did he typically rent? One of the big ass, you know, uh, uh, Lincoln town cars or, you know, full size 
fucking old white millionaire cars. Well, our next question, Jim, was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com. Well, you're laughing because I got gas now? I, I The way you said it humored me, yes. Yes. This was sent in by Stephen in Kildare, Ireland. On your most recent episode of The Experience, you mentioned that Vince McMahon, in his quest to kill the business twice over and move it away from wrestling, <laughs> that he had accidentally created many Vince-isms. You have already touched on some of these before, such as medical facility and don't say belt and the like. Could you deep dive into that encyclopedia in that head of yours to cover as many of the Vince-isms and what they are slash mean as you possibly can? Oh, God. Um, well, ever you know, everybody knows belt. You can't say belt. And wrestling has been banned and wrestler for a while. I, one time I was actually doing commentary on one of the syndicated shows. We're doing the voiceover commentary of pre-taped matches at the studio in Stamford. And it was, I remember it was Taka Michinoku because, and JR and I were calling the match. And I said something to the effect of, well, Taka Michinoku better concentrate on doing something or he's not going to win this wrestling match. And JR started to say something and Jennifer Good, the producer said, stop, stop. What? Can't say that. What'd we say? Can't say wrestling. I said, what? I didn't even realize what I'd said. I said, wait a minute. I can't say he's got better concentrate on winning this wrestling match. No. God damn it. And I hated to stop down because JR and I for months in a row would do two hours of television voiceovers every, I believe it was Thursday morning. We'd do superstars for this country and then we'd do international heat. And everybody else that did those, they would stop down all the time and blah, blah, blah. And it'd take like four hours to do two one-hour shows, which are 45 minutes apiece without commercials. Well, JR and I did not like to stop down. We liked to do it like it was live. So we would see, and we would end up doing two hour, two one-hour shows in an hour and 45 minutes with a 15-minute break to re-rack tape in between. So I'm like, okay. Well, I wasn't going to say sports entertainment, so I changed it to, you know, better to win this contest or just to win this match or whatever. But it was little shit like that back when, when I was there. But now they actually have an entire handbook of phrases that you cannot use. And it's been out on the Internet. and You can look it up. But, like, that's how WWE Universe came about. Didn't want to call them fans. Can't say the fans. Now you can't say the referees' names, I'm told. You're not allowed to identify the referees. They just, they are there on your screen, but they don't exist in real life because they don't have names. Um, it just, sometimes he would get boiling mad. I would understand this. This is something I would pick apart in a wrestling training class, <clears throat> but Vince would hate it when a guy would be backed up into the corner and another guy would choke him around the neck and the guy, or be punching him in the face and the guy's hands would be on the top rope. Right. You see a guy gets backed in the corner. He grabs it. Just it's nature. You grab the top rope on either side. But while you're being choked or punched in the face, Vince believed. And this is true. If it was real, you'd either try to be cover up, covering up your face or prying the fucking hands away. And that's true. And I would call that to everybody's attention in wrestling classes. But he would go on about it in meetings for fucking five or ten minutes. Look at this fucking guy. You know, blah, blah, blah. 
just certain things get under his skin, and over a period of time, they have now compiled all of those things, and so they give the announcers all these words. You've seen them. I can't even remember what what else they've banned now or suggested recommended verbiage for, but it's a whole goddamn list. And it's all about trying to remove phrases and terms that he thinks are wrestling. Which and, and he's done a pretty good job of removing all of the wrestling out of his wrestling program. But, oh, and strap was worse than belt. He hated the word, you know, drop the strap. That was a phrase in the industry. If you're going to switch your belt, Brian is going to beat Jim for the Southeastern title. You go, well, I'm going to drop the strap to you. Oh, he hated that. And it it just, eh. it's things that that in his mind make his program more associated with professional wrestling. Imagine that. <laughs> and I was there that time in the in the meeting. There was Vince. There was Shane. This was before Stephanie. Shane came, Shane's older, so Shane was around the office before Stephanie was after he got out of school. Vince and Shane and myself and Bruce Pritchard and Shitstain and Kevin Dunn and Jim Ross and a variety of upper management folks that worked in the office. They were having, I can't remember what the subject of the meeting was called about, but Shane brought it up. He said, well, that's a, what should we call our superstars besides superstars? I said, how about wrestlers? They all look at me because I couldn't help it. And they'll let, no, what do you know? Should we call it, you know, and I can't remember what his, his suggestions were, but it was basically everything but actors at that point. Entertainers came up and this and that. I said, and I said this, and I didn't give a fuck because this, I, that's why I couldn't wait to get out of there. <clears throat> and I mean, out of Connecticut and out of that whole fucking office, because I liked many of the people that worked there. And I liked the wrestling business still at that point in time when it kind of still was the wrestling business. And I wanted to work hard and do good, but I would sit there and listen to these stupid arguments and stupid discussions of things that made no sense where they would try to pretend to be something different than what they were. And Kevin Dunn is another one. He would never, he, he didn't want you to say the word sport. He, he and, and he was offended when you drew analogies between that and real sports because he was a baseball fan and a football fan. But I said, they they are wrestlers having wrestling matches, wearing wrestling boots and wrestling tights in a wrestling ring for a company called the World Wrestling Federation. So why the fuck would we not call them wrestlers? And then everybody ignores me and decides, well, should we call them entertainers or should we go? It was maddening. Did they recognize the fact that the general public didn't do that? I mean, to the average person who doesn't watch wrestling, they're wrestlers, and the show is wrestling. Yes. No, they did not recognize that. They did not recognize. Kevin Dunn didn't, not only didn't recognize that or wouldn't admit it out, that's probably why he's still there, because if if you go along and even if you don't believe something, if you say it out loud so that they can hear you say it and assume that you're on board with it, then you're okay. But if you question it, then that, well, he's not with the program. Well, guess what? I ain't with the fucking program. So you would actually hear them saying 
these phrases to each other. And that's the big problem I had with, with Biden. not a big problem, but just the problem I had with Bruce is that even when we were just speaking just ourselves, he wouldn't admit that this shit was bullshit and that we were calling stuff that was one thing by obviously another name. Because I guess they were afraid that Vince had the house bugged or whatever. But no, they did not recognize that nobody has ever said the I, I can't wait to get my sports entertainment tickets. Or did you see the sports entertainment matches last night? Or I think I'll go to sports entertainment. And Kevin Dunn was the worst one because he would bring the studio employees in. And I mentioned this before the the the, the documentaries that they do, the the studio people and the the technical folks and the producers and et cetera, the editors, they work very hard on those, and they don't even know that they're, in a lot of cases, that they're rewriting history. Some of them know, and they have no choice but to do so, but some of them don't even know. Back then, they didn't know a lot of things because they would have no wrestling background and be hired to come to work for Titan Television, <clears throat> and they would be educated on wrestling by Kevin Dunn. And, you know, and, and he would actually, he would say in production meetings when somebody was making a debut, Terry Funk, that famous time in Madison Square Garden where Terry Funk came out on Raw as Chainsaw Charlie, um, is, well, nobody's going to know Terry Funk in Madison Square Garden. He wasn't a big deal for us, and he hasn't been here in 10 years. I said, are you out of your mind? He's Terry Funk. Every wrestling fan in the world knows who Terry Funk is. It's not like he hasn't just been on fucking WCW a couple of years before and ECW just recently. And he was all over fucking TBS for years and he was an NWA world champion. Everybody's going to know Terry. Well, we should do some kind of precondition. Nobody's going to know. Oh, oh, God damn it. And of course, he went out and raised that chainsaw and did that fucking Terry sideways limp. And within five seconds, people were chanting, Terry, Terry, Terry. But Kevin Dunn would look at you dead seriously in the eye and say any major superstar that was appearing for the first time for the WWF, we'd need to do a precondition or something because our fans are not wrestling fans and they're not going to know who he is. Didn't he stop you at one point from, was it, was it you mentioning the dynamite kid or you mentioning the Freebirds? Oh, the Freebird. No, he didn't stop me. He said something about it afterwards. When they had the brood, Edge, Christian, and Gangrel together, and I thought those guys, I thought they looked great. The gimmick was good because they looked like the vampire guys that was hot at that time, and they were young, and I've always been a fan of Edge and Christian, and Gangrel was the veteran at that point, but he actually went and got the fangs. And so I'm putting them over on commentary, and I said some of the effect of not since the fabulous Freebirds. Has three men like this made such an impact or whatever the fuck, right? <clears throat> Kevin Dunn calls me over to the side later on. At, you know, I think when, next to TV, he'd heard the show. He said, don't come. And this was when Michael Hayes was working for the company, but he was Doc Hendricks then. But he said, don't compare the brood to the free birds. I said, what? He said, it, it would make them sound old. Nobody remembers the free birds. I said, what are I said, if these guys draw a tenth of the money as the Freebirds did, we'd all be turning cartwheels down fucking Main Street in Stamford here. Are you out of your mind? And, and another time, I drew a comparison uh, between, I don't know, somebody or other. And 
we were at a pay-per-view the the next week and in the production meeting kevin dunn said make sure to, it was pete rose was involved somehow i was going up on that wrestlemania and kevin dunn said well make sure to mention that last time pete rose was i think in boston or wherever he hit 47 home runs in a single game or whatever the fuck it was who gives a shit and that was this is 1998 that was in 1970 fucking three or whatever so I went up to him afterwards, over in a corner where nobody else could hear us. So Kevin, I got to ask you this. I said, you just criticized me for drawing a comparison between one of our talents and somebody else from 15 years ago in the same sport. And I'm trying to make my point. He breaks it. He says, Courtney, this is not a sport. I said, maybe not the way you fucking do it, but it is the way I fucking do it. And then I got hot and I finished the fucking question. I said, the point is you blister me for comparing somebody from however long ago to somebody now that we've got in the same sport in the same business. But yet you expect people to remember 25 years later that this fucking jack off baseball player that's going to take his fucking hall of fame payoff. I wasn't saying this, but it, that's what he did and go to the casino. That's why he's asking for it in cash. I said, <laughs> You say that somebody is going to remember that 25 years ago, this fucking baseball player hit fucking however many home runs, and that's something that we're supposed to talk about on a wrestling program. What the fuck is the difference? We're trying to get our people over, not this fucking baseball player. And he just looked at I said, you know what? Never mind. I said, never. And I just walked away from him because you couldn't even get through to the guy that what he was doing was basically contradictory to what he would say about the wrestling business. As long as it's a baseball player, a football player, give their entire goddamn background. But if it's a wrestler, well, nobody's going to remember that because that's years ago and they didn't wrestle for the WWF and our fans aren't wrestling fans. Well, guess what, Kevin Dunn? Now none of your fans are wrestling fans and you got a lot less fans than you used to. I found a list of some of Vince's banned words. There you go. Belt, strap. Obviously, yeah. you just said it. It says here, we don't have belts or straps. We have championships, titles. <laughs> the belt represents something. Well, that kind of defeats the purpose there. Yeah. Talk about what it represents, hard work and dedication, or it means <laughs> accomplishment of goals, bullseye for others. <sighs> don't say the business or our industry. And I, I'm 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 with business. It should be sport. I like see Jr. came up with industry, and now that Jr. is gone, they won't let you say industry. Jr. came up with industry because they they didn't want him to say sport, and he didn't like to say business. So he came up with industry that or wrestling. They didn't want you to say wrestling, so he came up with industry, and I thought that worked because it's you know it's not offensively phony. But now they won't, don't want you to say that. And for the record, the sheet I'm looking at appears to be from, at a minimum, 2008, maybe 2009. Don't say feud. Don't say war. Don't say performance or performer or choreograph. Well, that seems like a natural one not to say. Well, but wait a minute. Don't, didn't they just say perform about 172 times on one of these shows last week? I'm guessing Vince may have pulled back on that one. Don't say house show, use live event. Don't say backstage, use in the back or in the locker room area. I like that. Don't say pro wrestling or pro wrestler. 
You superstar, star, or athlete. Don't say international. Use global. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, that's um, – I guess now that wrestling is back on TNT and back under the uh, the Turner family, do they get to say foreign object now? Is that is that out of fashion and still down there? Was that a Jim Hurd thing or a Turner – That was thing? a Turner thing. And the, the, the announcers uh, started making fun of it because because it's ridiculous. Ted, well, Ted Turner had decided in the interest of us all being one people that things shouldn't be foreign anymore. So he banned the word foreign from being said on, I and mean, it was a great sentiment, but he banned the word foreign from being said on the network. However, foreign in wrestling had another connotation such as foreign object. Well, they actually legitimately told the wrestling announcers that they couldn't say for an object anymore. So the announcers started calling it an international object because it was so fucking stupid. And that's how that happened. Don't say shot as in no title shots. Oh, I know that's that is why all these guys have this unwieldy verbiage where they say title opportunity, which sounds like dog shit. And remember the guy a couple weeks ago on Raw said, we're going to get a SmackDown tag team title match opportunity. Because he couldn't figure out. Just, it's a shot at the title. Take a shot at the at the brass ring, pal. He doesn't like that, though. Don't say acrobatics. Don't say interesting. <laughs> What's up with what? that? I don't understand that one. I guarantee you that some way or another, Vince, somebody used the word interesting in a way that Vince didn't like, and Vince found something wrong with it, and it's one of those things that he doesn't like. I I don't know about that one. Don't say DQ. Don't say talent. Use star, superstar, or diva. Don't say me or I. Wait, wait a minute. DQ is another one of those wrestling terms that he doesn't like. Me or I is because he he wants the announcers to speak for the fans. How would the fans, he wants them to represent what the fans feel instead of what they think. Don't use inside terms like heel, babyface, blown up, shoot, rib, mark, etc. You'd agree on that one. I'd, well, I'd agree everything. Is blown up a, a, just a wrestling term? I don't know. Son of a bitch, maybe, you know, every once in a while, I've said I'm blown up to fucking people not in the wrestling business if I'm out of breath, and they kind of look at me like they don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it may be so, then. It, that may be a wrestling. I don't know what some of these, I've been around it so long, what some of these are, you know, non-wrestling terms people wouldn't know. But yes, I agree with most of that. Don't use U.S., say United States. Uh, this kind of shows the age of this one. This is before the universe. Don't say fans <laughs> when possible. Refer to the audience as you in other situations. <laughs> ID them raw fans, our fans, Cena's fans, etc. Don't and say now it, now it's gone all the way to no fans. <laughs> Don't say hospital. Use medical center. <laughs> Don't say faction. Use group. Please use now available instead of on sale. We never want to use the term, the title is on the line. Please use more creative terms, like <laughs> the title will be defended. 
And then uh. it has some recent additions as of 2008. A note from Vincent K. McMahon, less is more. Layout, make what you have to say more important and make the audience listen to you. Use rhetorical questions, then lay out. Let the audience digest the material. And then another note from Vince. Per Vince McMahon, going forward, we never want to use the term, the title is on the line. Please use more creative terms like, the title will be defended. He hates that. And then another one is a note from Big, per Vincent King. Oh, God, that's when he was there. Please do not use the term sports entertainment. Going forward, please use entertainment in its place. So just take the sports completely out. That's another big John Gaborik, right? He was the guy on Tough Enough. Do you know that not only did fans think he was an ex-wrestler, but I found out when I went down there to do the week of TNA tapings for Jeff Jarrett in 2017, right? Summertime, because it was hot, even for Florida. So it must have been August-ish. He was working for him at that time because he had been let go from the WWF. He got, and some of the wrestlers thought that he had been a wrestler. That's why they were listening to him. I didn't have any problem with the guy, but I knew he was a friend of Kevin Dunn, so I knew he was a jughead. But that's what it, it was. He was a television production guy that was a friend of Kevin Dunn's that was out of work, and they brought him in and gave him a spot on Tough Enough and put the, with him with that big head. When they put him out there, people thought that he was some kind of ex-wrestler wrestling personality because he was grading the Tough Enough guys, right? You remember him. Yeah. And I said, no. I said, he doesn't. He's never had anything to do with wrestling besides being on that show because he worked in the production company at Titan TV because he was friends with Kevin Dunn from Baltimore. I said, what? That explains a lot. Then they realized, what the fuck? I, like I said, I didn't have a problem with him, but it's just that he was speaking to guys and they were listening like he was a sage, you know, fucking wrestling coach. And so the only cross thing I had, and I just ignored it, was at that TNA taping was they wanted to have, who the fuck was it? John Morrison was there and he was Johnny Impact then. And whoever the heel was that was working with him, could it have been Eli Drake? Might have been, I can't remember. They want they wanted to have him come into ring and jump John and just beat him up. And Johnny had just won a match. And plus they every other match was in and in a beatdown. I said, if you really want to lay him out and fucking make an impact, and make it different from all this other shit, let's break the board over his head. They said, What? I said, yeah. So I got the board and I fixed it. I had ran them to the Home Depot and got the shit and fixed the board. Ran through with the guys because I'm helping produce the stuff. And right as we're about to go out, Big says, you can't do that. So what are you talking about? No chair shots and no head shots. I said, I fixed the board. No, no, no. We can't do it. We can't do it. I said, it's already, and I had gone to Jeff and made this change, right? Jeff Jarrett had approved this. I said, here's what we're going to do. And he comes in, boom, boom, boom. Oh, that's better. That's good. Do that. And he'd even helped show the heel how to fucking swing the board and not to fucking hold back because you have to commit to that swing or it won't work and you will hurt the guy. I said, I cleared it with Jeff. He said, it doesn't matter. Now he's got heat with me because Jeff has come in to take this fucking company over again and try to get it back and fucking 
some state of affairs and I'm there for Jeff and he's tr- trying to overrule Jeff on something we're about to go do. I said, well, I got news for you. This is what we're going to fucking do. And he sat back down. So the heel comes in. I'm interviewing Morrison. The heel comes in. He turns around. I duck. He breaks the board over his head. The thing flies into a million pieces. The people fucking pop. Johnny goes down. The fucking heel standing over him. I'm checking on John, taking his pulse. And Johnny opens one eye and looks up at me and smiles and says, good call on the board, Corny. Because it was, <laughs> he didn't want to take another one of those giant fucking bumps. And it didn't hurt him because it was fixed. And the fucking goof thought we were really going to break something over the fucking guy's head. No, chair shot shots to the head are barred. Well, this is wrestling, motherfuckers. Sit back and let the professionals drive. And you just look at the fucking monitor. But they cut, I mean, we're outnumbered now. They all come from these environments. They come from the environment where you get paid to train and go to school to learn how to become a wrestler, or you get, you get hired to write wrestling despite having never been in a locker room before, much less actually inside the railing. That was, I was there when shit stains gave me that immortal line. We'd gone to do on cameras for some fucking he was doing commentary on the New York show, right? You remember that when they had WWF New York on WOR or something late at night and they got shit stained to do the color. My ex-wife one time accidentally watched it. She said, I can't understand a word he's fucking saying. I said, it only shows in New York. They'll get it. Nobody else would. But anyway, we're coming back up the fucking ramp after the on cameras were taped. He said, that was so cool. I said, what? He said, I've never been inside the railing while a match was going on before. This was the guy that was writing the fucking show. So that's what we got now after 20 years. That's all of them. All the writers, they were going through the men's locker room, be whistling stranger in paradise. A lot of the wrestlers think that it's normal to get paid to go to school and learn your fucking craft. And the ones that don't, the ones that are out there starving, on the independence. Well, they're starving because they're most of these companies are booking the invisible man and Jojo, the dog face boy. And they think that that crowd thinks that it's okay to laugh and make fun of the business. And they're shocked at wrestlers or wrestling fans that take it seriously. So we're, we're all pretty much outnumbered here these days. I see some quotes here from a Chris Jericho interview that he did at some point uh, in the last few years. And this is, doesn't seem to be about something on camera. It seems to be about actually talking to Vince. Was it like this with you that you weren't allowed to use or you couldn't use the word job? Instead, Vince would insist that you use the word favor. <laughs> Someone didn't job for you. They did a favor for you. Well, yes and no. I can see him doing Vince doing that with the talent. I started to say I can see him and then I'm hearing pronouns, pal. That's another thing. He doesn't want you to say, look, he drop kicked him. He wants you to say, Brian drop kicked Jim because he said he drop kicked him. Doesn't mean anything Too many use pronouns, pal. That's something you can agree with too. But if we're sitting around saying, can we get fucking Brett to do a job for Sean? He didn't mind the word job, but when he was there conveying to the top talent, all the reasons why that they should be defeated in that match. He didn't want to call it a job. He wanted to call it a favor. So there's two different environments there in a booking meeting. You job all day long because none of you in that meeting are doing the job. But when he's talking somebody into doing the job, it becomes a favor. 
One last thing about this. When The Rock started using the line, the most electrified man in sports entertainment, was that written for him or was that something he started the, using the word sports entertainer there? Was that something he had decided to do? I, th- I think he, he was on. He was he was there for that because Rocky came in right as it was all changing and he was going to get with the fucking curve, especially when he got that second lease on life after die Rocky die when they'd pushed him as that kid and play fucking baby face. Um, so he knew that you weren't supposed to say wrestling. So he was taking that upon himself. He was still going to be the most electrifying man in whatever the fuck he was in. So, you know, and I don't blame him for doing that. Uh, cause if, if, if he'd have said one time, I'm the most electrifying man in professional wrestling, they wouldn't let him say it anymore. But because he said, I'm the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, they let him say it all the time. And he got it over. Our next question, Jim. Sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Paul in Connecticut. What do you think about the story that CM Punk's return was shot down by Vince McMahon? Have you heard about this? Um, have you heard about this? Have you read about this? Uh, I, I heard, I saw on the internet, there was a quote that Vince said, he's just the one man I can't do business with. Of course, we've, we've heard that. We've heard that about a couple of other men though. But it's interesting because apparently the story goes, and who knows how accurate it is, CM Punk's representatives got in touch with WWE and said, would you guys be open to him doing something? And Vince had that attitude. And it's interesting because CM Punk didn't really do much, I guess, for the ratings of that backstage show when it was on. But what does this say about Punk with the future with the WWE? But also, if that's Vince's attitude, what value does he have for AEW? Well, he would have value for AEW if he, if if they had CM Punk on their television show, that would be a a boon to them because he's a major name and he's a fish that got away. However, he really botched it with the way he returned to television. Um I don't know what his relationship is with Vince, but I it hurt me to hear that his representative representatives reached out because I was like, here the the modern day Jack Briscoe, this is the one guy that's going to walk away and say, fuck you and mean it, right? Um, whether he comes back to wrestling, at least he would not come back to the WWF, WWE. And I was pulling for him to do that because somebody needs to. So I hate to think that he's the one that asked them if he could come back. And we haven't heard him say that that's the case to, to verify that. But. To come back to television at the level of star he was and the people that uh, chanted for a while, we want punk or CM Punk or whatever, and still that if you did something on a on a national show with a big splash, he would mean something and he can talk his ass off. I don't know what his work's like these days. He'd been out of the ring five years or whatever, but he wouldn't have he's a personality. But to come back on a show about a show, WWE backstage, as like you're not a star on Walking Dead. You're a guest on Talking Dead. Fuck that. For him to have come back just to do a TV show about a TV show and then not even be the host of it or be a regular, be the star of it, just pop in every now and then. It's like, you know, he's suddenly became, if it, if it was a movie, he wouldn't be the star. He'd be the best friend. He's a supporting actor now. He's just a fucking guy that Bob said that was a major mistake to come back to anything wrestling related. I'm not saying he couldn't do a bit part in a movie or any TV show or whatever, but in the wrestling genre, 
if he was not going to come back and make a splash at a major fucking pay-per-view or a big national television show on the show in an angle, whether it be AEW, WWE or whatever, just to pop up and say hello on WWE backstage, that was, that was not the greatest thing to do. The idea that Vince is saying that's the one guy I can't do business with. Have you ever heard him talk about anyone else like that? Well, Savage. Um, you heard that, though? Well, he's been quoted as saying, I will not do business with that man. I never brought his fucking name up. after I was there when Savage was still there before he left. And after he left, I saw how pissed Vince was. <laughs> and I, I was never going to be the one to say, hey, why don't we see what Savage is doing? Fuck that. I didn't want to get a fuck a mallet upside my head. Um, but I know punk has been an, a complete nightmare for them to try to do business with. And also he had that great line with triple H where he said, I, you know, I don't need to work with you. You need to work with me. That was, and so now the son-in-law is fucking hot. Um, and, and he made it plain that he didn't want to wrestle anymore. He did the whole UFC thing. I just, I think Vince is like, fuck it. I'm not going to fucking waste my time and stress over this guy. It's not worth it. I'm still far enough ahead. Right. And I'm not saying that CM Punk is in the wrong because if, if all the misery that he went through, which you can't make all that shit up. He had some misery. If I, if, if, well, yeah, generally when I say, fuck it, I'm done with somebody, fuck it, I'm done for fucking life. Every once in a while, I'll go back to the same company, but only with a complete change in management. And even that's not very often. As I've said before, if, if you have a miserable experience and hate your life, when you're dealing with somebody, why do you want to go back again? You know, Brody Lee had an interesting comment in that Jericho interview. He said that he remembered talking to CM Punk and CM Punk, who obviously had a lot of issues with WWE even when he was there, he said that the thing about WWE is everything could be better. Like anything you think about, yeah. anything you do, anything that's going on, everything could be better. And I think that's really interesting. Well, it's, it's true because it's, it's gotten bigger than a wrestling promotion is supposed to be. I've said it before. Wrestling should never have been national to begin with. Wrestling, the regional territories were the perfect way to present wrestling because you had wrestling everywhere, but the specific wrestling that you had in places was the specific kind of wrestling that those people in those places would like. And whether it was crazy fucking fights and, you know, bloody fucking brawls in Memphis or technical wrestling in Florida mixed with some bloody brawls or, you know, the fucking big guys in the Northeast or the... You know, fucking the, the, the little East Tennessee territory was completely different than the, than the Memphis territory because those people definitely knew what real fights looked like. And so they did hard ways and all that bullshit that I don't say bullshit, bullshit fondly, you know, to make people believe in that small area. But you had the, the, the regional promotions were tailored to the places that they ran, but it was still overall professional wrestling. You can't have one style of fucking wrestling and present it everywhere because that doesn't work. And then you can't do anything locally. So WWE has gotten so big, it could all be better. But there's so many people involved, so many channels to go through, so much bullshit, the PG shit, the publicly traded shit. You can't offend anybody. Heaven knows somebody was to grab somebody's ass in a fucking locker room or something. There'd probably be a goddamn hanging over it. 
Uh, so you you can't present wrestling the same way all across the country because different regions have different people that like different shit. And I, I saw old Uncle Dave actually he lived there and he still couldn't get this. Somebody asked him, said, well, was JYD really as over in mid South or I can't remember what the question was, but there was a comparison of Carrie Von Eric and JYD and Dave for a period of about a year lived in Oklahoma because he worked for where lived in North Texas and went to the matches in Oklahoma because he worked for a newspaper down there. I think it was Wichita falls. Anyway, he said, well, when I saw uh, those Mid-South shows live in Oklahoma City, Kerry Von Erich's pop was just as big as JYD's. Well, all things being equal, yes, it was. But here's the problem. All things weren't equal. JYD first got over in New Orleans and Louisiana and Mississippi because that was where Mid-South Wrestling promoted in 1980 and 81 the states of Louisiana and Mississippi. They didn't take over from Leroy McGurk, the rest of his tri-state territory, Oklahoma and Arkansas, until 1982. So the people in Oklahoma had never seen JYD's first two years, the formative two years where he became God in New Orleans and saw all those angles to get the full flavor of the history. <clears throat> but they were seeing the Dallas TV with the Von Erics from world class because not only was it syndicated uh, across the country, but in Oklahoma before it was syndicated across the country because that was three-hour drive from Dallas. World class was on local television in those Oklahoma towns even when Leroy McGurk was still promoting. And didn't Fritz own a piece of Oklahoma Fritz City? Fritz owned a piece. Yes, that's why that Carrie or you know a, a few of the other Dallas stars would appear in the early years, at least. I don't know if he kept it past '84 or early '85 when they had the fallen out and quit trading, quit quit trading talent so much. But yes, you'd see Dallas guys go up to Oklahoma because there was a, a financial interest there, a minor one. That's also why JYD they didn't annex Houston into Mid-South until late 1983. 82. But 82, I'm sorry. All right, Savant. But Paul Bosch, because he booked his own cards, even when he was using the San Antonio talent, he would bring in Dusty Rhodes. He'd bring in Andre the Giant, and he'd bring in JYD. So the people in Houston saw JYD before it ever even became a Mid-South town. And so he was over there. And also, here's another thing. Let's just face it. You've got a fucking Texas cowboy second generation wrestler like Kerry Von Erich in Oklahoma against and, and and your other baby face is a black guy. Well, there wasn't a lot of black people in Oklahoma. So while JYD was a god in New Orleans, especially at the downtown municipal auditorium, he wasn't as naturally a god in Oklahoma City when he started showing up there two or three years later. But here's this fucking all-American boy that look just like them or just like they wanted their kids to look, Carrie Von Erich, and naturally they're going to fucking go crazy over him. But they still like dog in Oklahoma. But he didn't have that bond with those people. The run didn't last as long, and it wasn't such a natural fit. Take Carrie Von Erich to fucking you know, New Orleans, and he's still going to be over, but the dog had him. 
Jackson, Mississippi, same thing. It it depended on who had seen the evolution of these guys from the start, who understood the history, and what geographic appeal those individuals had. Well, we got there somehow from CM Punk. Oh, so Punk, going back to Punk, well, you said the WWE, everything could be better. Everything could be better, but it's too big. It's too big. Wrestling was not meant to be promoted nationally with publicly traded companies that have to worry about hurting people's fucking feelings. So everything could be better. But by the time it goes through and gets washed and sanitized and everybody has a turn at fucking the idea up that you had to begin with or whatever. And, and then, you know, Vince still thinks this should be Disney and entertainment and people are, you know, they're revolting against his type of entertainment. Now the other company has made it, you know, where the, the, the fan du jour is that, you know, they appeal to the people that think this is supposed to be funny and silly and stupid and showbiz. And they laugh that anybody ever took it seriously. And that's just a limited amount of people too. Just like the people that are still going to fucking put up with this goddamn, you know, people doing special effects, falling off of fucking high places and not being splattered into a million pieces. Cause it's television. It's just all entertainment now, just a different level of entertaining or a different level of stupid. All right, there it is. Another zany tale or another angry tale. It could be one or the other. It could be both, actually. Just, be- just admit to the to the people that you don't know I don't yet know. where in the program we currently are, which is actually pretty much where we're at at this point in the program every week. We don't know where we are, but go ahead. In the meantime... Tell the people what you've done. I'll tell them what you've done. As the people were listening to entertainment, you and I were arguing over the Galloping Gourmet because you were watching the Galloping Gourmet on television as a teenager in the 90s in New York. And that's the great thing about New York. They had 27 television stations. They'd show everything. But I have not seen the Galloping Gourmet on TV since the early 70s. And... You were shocked to know that those, you knew the programs were reruns. You didn't know they were that old. I dared you to look up Graham Kerr, the Galloping Gourmet, and see when he last did a first-run television program, when his series aired, when he died, what the the whole deal is, and you've got that information now on your Google machine. Is that correct? On my computer, using a Google search engine, and that way you're correct. And you'll be surprised to learn, Jim, he is still alive today. What? Graham Kerr, the Galloping Gourmet, is alive, and I don't want to say well, because I don't know, but he's alive. Well, wait a minute. How old is he now? He had a, we were just talking about he had a stroke years ago, 40 years ago. He's 87. Jesus. I thought he'd been at least 102. So he's 87. Wait, if he's 87, let's, let me do the math here real quick. Is a 2022 close enough for round numbers? So, I mean, he was born in 1935, so he was a dashing 35 or 40 years old when I was watching him on television. And when, when, what years did his show run? The show, the first run show was December 30th, 1968 to September 14th, 1973. See? 
See, there I mean, you go. I'm not disagreeing with you. Let me see. You well, yelled it you, at me. Like, you, you would. You would if you could, but you can't, so you won't. <laughs> well, you may not be wrong there, but the Galloping Gourmet alive and well. Well, alive. Uh, we hope he's well. Well, what what does it say anything about he recovered from a stroke or Hold he on. was uh, influence, disabled? Uh, influence, personal life, later career, personal setbacks. Here we go. Move to Canada. No, that's not part of the personal <laughs> setbacks. That's God, before it, just for the you record. You can't really recover from something like that. <laughs> uh, some near tragedies caused Kerr to suspend his television career, thus ending the show. In April 1971, Kerr and his wife, Trina, were involved in a car crash in California. As a result of the accident, he suffered a dislocated spine oof, oh. and a weakened left arm. As therapy, Kerr had to wear a one-pound bracelet in order to strengthen the weakened arm. Then, in January 1972, Trina was at first diagnosed with lung cancer. That diagnosis turned out to be incorrect. Ugh. It was later determined she had tuberculosis. Oh, Jesus! And part of her lung had to be removed. She went on to make a full recovery. Well, I'm, I'm glad they just tailed off with that. However, she became addicted to painkillers. Oh. As well as several other medications. In 1975, Trina became a born-again Christian after uh. being encouraged by an employee. Kerr also became religious at the same time. Kerr returned to television in 1975 with a daily syndicated five-minute series, Take Kerr which featured a particular recipe for each show. The program reflected his newfound embrace of both Christianity and healthy eating. In five minutes. With lighter calorie recipes and Christian elements, including the use of the hymn, This is the Day the Lord has Made, as a theme song. The program so you could find out the meaning of life and how to cook a chicken parmesan all in five minutes. Sounds like a great show. I got to find some of those reruns. Did he have a stroke then, or was it the car wreck that we were thinking about? That's what I'm... The arm thing and the whole nine yards. The program lasted four series, one Christian element on the show, and inclusion of a passage from the Bible and the closing credits, was strongly resisted by one of the stations on which the show aired, and indirectly caused Kerr to lose millions of dollars in potential revenue, owing to his unwillingness to compromise. This series was later repeated on CNN during its first year or so on the air. You know, I normally uh, would support someone's unwillingness to compromise. But, in that case, dipshit! You were led into delusions by your wife and cost yourself millions of dollars in advertising. Well, let me end with this. This is interesting. In a 1975 interview publicizing Take Her, Kerr renounced the show The Galloping Gourmet. What? Saying, quote, What I did wasn't art. It was a crime! Given the increasing rate of obesity in the United States. So I guess that's what he was saying. He also apologized for two of his trademarks on that show. His wine drinking and his double entendres. Yes, he was like this, this British uh, Randy, you know, fucking what, a little, yeah, uh, like uh, oh God, Cook. who am I thinking yeah. of? Huh? He was like Peter Cook. I mean, he was just yeah, a like drunk a, yeah. British guy telling jokes, cooking. I mean, it was great. A slightly not drunk, but a slightly tipsy, randy British fellow telling jokes and cooking. 
Sounded like he was more exciting before he got born the second time. He stated that he was trying to convince TV stations to remove reruns of the show from syndication. Oh, what a killjoy this guy is. All right, so no stroke. Okay. It was a car wreck. It was a car wreck that everyone thought was a stroke. I did, at least. Yeah, well, now we know better. See, what other podcast, ladies and gentlemen, in this holiday season is going to tell you all you need to know about the Galloping Gourmet. If he's renounced the Galloping Gourmet, does that mean it's up for grabs? Ooh, can we get Stephen P. New on that? That's interesting. What if you could be billed as Jim Cornette, the Galloping Gourmet? I don't know whether I'd rather be a gourmet or a gourmand. Oh, interesting. Well, that would Hold be a on, different... let's see what the difference is. Okay. One second here. Now you've got me going down that path. There's goon, gotten... Wait a minute. Uh, go, 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 gore, 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 govern, gown. I'm going to a gourmand, a lover of good food or a gluttonous eater. Yep. Yeah. A gourmet is a connoisseur of fine food and drink, whereas a gourmand can also be a gluttonous eater. So I'd like to be the galloping gourmand. But then I'd have a hard time galloping, wouldn't I? Well, you got to figure the Galloping Gourmet was going through various issues in his life, and this was his way of dealing with it. Maybe he didn't have anyone to talk to, but of course, there are lots of people out there, Jim, going through lots of issues, and luckily there is someone they could talk to. It sounds like he had a lot of people to talk to before he became an old stick in the mud, but folks, right now, at the holiday season, if through no fault of your own, you are not a stick in the mud, but you don't have anybody to talk to, there's no family around, people are in quarantine, locked down, far away, whatever, and something is interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp is there to help. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's professional counseling done securely online where they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, even if you wanted to venture out into the disease-ridden world. And this service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You get timely responses. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. No waiting rooms. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And better help, the reason for it is because they want you to start living a happier life today. You can visit their website, BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. And read the testimonials. They're posted daily. And if you go to betterhelp.com slash JCE, as a special offer for our listeners, you get 10% off your first month's services. That's betterhelp.com slash JCE for 10% off your first month. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional with BetterHelp whether you can gallop to your nearest gourmet or not. That's right, and let's get back to the fine arts here. The best of, the best moments of you talking about Vince McMahon. Let's get back on the omnibus. I guess you can't say on the omnibus. It doesn't work. Let's it's either get on back, the bus. Let's get back on the bus. The omnibus is ready to roll again. That works. Let's get back to more stories. We'll talk to you again in a little bit. Bus stop at weeks and she's in the house giving me still my umbrella. Bus stop me. Did I ever tell you the story of Vince and, and Trump and the plane? No, I don't think so. I was not there for this, but I heard this from 
a, a, a source not named Pritchard that was on, remember when, well, you don't remember because you weren't there, but you remember reading about when they first went in the 2000s, they went public, they had all the money, and they started flying around a charter plane. And Because when I was with Vince, me and Vince, JR and Bruce, we flew commercial with everybody else. Vince was in first class and I was in coach, but nevertheless, we were still on the same plane and it was commercial, but then they got their own plane. You remember this time period? Yeah. So a person who was on the plane told me this story. And as I said, since they were not named Bruce, I I feel it's a valid story. When you fly a a private plane, even like the little ones that the, the little one that Crockett had was a Gulf stream, a converted, you know, a commuter jet, prop jet then it was customized inside and everything and he got it to fly the wrestlers around but even if you have a big corporate jet or a lear jet or whatever you fly into a specific part of the airport it's not just that's why when you when you go to see your aunt lola off at the airport you don't have a little private jet next to the fucking delta plane the commercial travel gets their gates and their terminals and they, the big airports, they have different facilities for private planes, whether they're the little ones or the, even the big corporate jets. So Vince's jet is sitting there, and they're delayed for some reason. And the person that told me stories on the plane, there's some other people on the plane, but there's a bunch of people standing off the plane. You know, Also, they don't get the jetways. They have to go up the steps. Depending How big your fucking plane is is how big the steps are. That's where you see Trump walking up those big steps to Air Force One with toilet paper on his fucking shoe. He doesn't get a jetway because it's not Delta. So there's a bunch of people standing around Vince's big WWE plane, and they're waiting to get on, and they're fucking dicking around. And all of a sudden, they look out the window, and guess who the plane on the other side of them is? Donald Trump with a bigger fucking plane. (laughs) Trump, this was before he was president, obviously. Trump pulls up in a bigger fucking plane. And Vince looks over and sees him. And they actually see Trump looking out the window waving, right? And some, I can't remember the exact method of communication when I heard the story, but it's not like they could roll down the window and yell at each other like two, two teenage kids side by side in hot rods. But obviously they know each other. So Trump either called Vince or sent a fucking pilot with a message or whatever the fuck. But it was like, hey, Vince, if you don't have enough room for all those people on your plane, we got plenty of room over here. (laughs) And he said, fucking Vince got hot. His plane was bigger than Vince's plane. This is how they both of them. I've said this a million times. Vince and Trump are so much alike. If Donald Trump was articulate and could be charming in any situation and was halfway intelligent, he'd be Vince because they think of this. They think the same way. It's just that Trump is a complete unsavory piece of pig shit in every way. Whereas Vince, you can, you can like and have a good time with, but there's still secretly down deep. He's a businessman and he'll cut your fucking heart out, but at least Vince is, you know, smoother about it, but they both think the same way. Not putting illnesses over, not putting a pandemic over because it'd be bad for business or in, in Trump's case, it'd be bad for my votes, but they're, they're very similar. Our next question, Jim sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Tad, the Boston quarantine boy. 
There's another thing. I don't want to see a wrestling match with a guy named Kip, and I don't think I want to see one with a guy named Tad. Jim. Hello, Tad. I'm sorry. Is Vince a cool guy? <laughs> what do you consider cool? Could you see yourself ever in any era of the business sitting down and having a drink or a burger or whatever, just hanging out with Vince, just two guys shooting the shit? Well, that's the thing. Vince can be fun and entertaining when you are with him on a personal basis. Yes. Um, I can't see myself sitting down having a burger with him because I've done that before. I've sat down. I've had a burger. He was eating a turkey sandwich with mustard, low fat mustard. You know, um, I've sat down and had chicken fingers with him while he was eating a turkey sandwich with low fat mustard. Uh, Vince is not anybody that just shoots the shit. There has to be a reason for the conversation. There has to be, there's something he's always working. He doesn't shoot shit. He, he talks about work and then does work. So, you know, I mean, obviously when you're having conversations or things come up, when you're riding in a fucking car three hours or whatever, he can be, you know, entertaining in, in that respect, but it's not like, He's just somebody that just hangs out with people. Back to the question. Uh, is Vince cool? Well, <laughs> is <laughs> some of him is, uh, and some of him is crazy, and some of him is an evil asshole. He can be, but it, we've talked about it. There's no way to really describe it, except he, to him, the whole thing, business is business. He will just say, okay, fine, cut them, pal. We need to please the stockholders, make stock look good, you know, blah, blah, blah. So fire these guys. And then, you know, the next time he sees them, hey, how are you, pal? I was just business. You know, sorry your family was out in the street. He did, you know, and he does good things for people. Everyone, he'd hear of somebody that needed something and he'd send them money or he'd help them out or whatever. And he's kept a lot of guys that were loyal to his dad. He he's taken care of the guys that were loyal to his dad better than most of the people that have been loyal to him. Uh, it's you never know. He's very charming. Like I said, he and Trump are a lot alike. If Trump was witty and eloquent and articulate and intelligent and, you know, had any positive qualities, there's a lot of, you know, Vince has a lot of Trump, but he's he blunts it with some of the good stuff. Can you go get your haircut in Kentucky? Well, I don't know, because I haven't gone to try to get my haircut. So I guess you can't. I don't know why, you know, uh, I don't know why they would be open. It's not essential. We can all go around looking like savages, I guess. I try to get my haircut once every four weeks. How many, the, the, how many weeks has it been? It's been eight weeks now. Oh, boy. I was about due when, the, when all this shit started happening. You know, Vince... I've told you about Vince's haircuts, right? In Manhattan. At, at the hotel in Manhattan, the $100 haircuts. He would go once a week, except if he was out of town on an extended trip. He would go once a week. He would be driven from, Connect from Stamford, Connecticut, down into Manhattan to go to this hotel where there was this uppity-tuppity barbershop, and this the same guy would cut his hair and he would give the, it, 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 me and Bruce talked about this, a hundred dollars 
for the haircut. This was in 1996, and he'd still tip the guy on top of that. I can't imagine how much it is now, and how much could your hair grow in a week? And he's always shaving his facial hair, you said. Well, yeah, oh, he shaves with the electric razor. Every time he gets in the back seat of the fucking limousine, he's shaving with the electric razor, gouging his face to make sure that any whisker that pops its fucking head up is whacked quicker than a fucking whack-a-mole in Myrtle Beach. It's almost as if he has some compulsion issues. It's almost like that, isn't it? Almost, yeah. Almost. He wants to control the hair on his own face. Can you see Vince with a beard? At his oh old God, age? No. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. No, I, I, the, the most, on our writing days, sometimes it, where Vince would be in his home, and we'd get there at 9 o'clock, so it's not like he's been out and about, right? He's been up and probably worked out, but he'd be wearing casual clothes or workout sweats or whatever. Every once in a while, it would look like he hadn't shaved that morning it would look like he hadn't shaved until the previous since the previous night. That was the longest amount of facial growth I ever saw in Vince McMahon in all the years I knew it. Maybe he didn't shave quite that morning before we got there. He looks awful now because, you know, when he went gray, he embraced it and he looked kind of all right. And now he dyes it and he just looks like that old man with the dyed hair. He looks awful. Well, wait a minute. If he... If he went gray and now is dying it, now that the people, why, that's like trying to not expose your business after you've exposed your business. If people have seen you gray, they know you're gray. So anytime they see you dark-headed, they know you're bullshit, right? You would think. So, so why would you do that? And he always had a weird issue. Jesse Ventura said that Vince was like always telling him to make fun of his wig, even though it wasn't a wig. Well, it's because his hair is always perfect because he gets a hundred dollar haircut once a week. Once a week. So, so people would fucking, people would laugh about how perfect his hair was. All right. Well, let's get another couple questions here on the show. I guarantee you that Vince has never had anything as great as Manscaped though. I would guess that you're probably right. Promo code drive. Promo code drive. Poor old Vince. He may not be able to take care of all of his wrestlers. You know, it might be feast or famine here pretty soon because even if he, even if he uh, saves all that money on all those wrestlers he fired, Brian, he's he's being sued for twenty million dollars by Oliver Luck, who apparently has had bad luck in trying to get his money out of Vince. <laughs> Explain to me okay. how Oliver Luck. I'm going to call him who the fuck is Oliver Luck. How the fuck is somebody that nobody has ever heard of past his immediate family worth more money than Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, John Cena, or every other top superstar wrestler that Vince McMahon ever had in his fucking billion-dollar company that was built on wrestling superstars? Who the fuck is Oliver Luck? Well, he's not a nobody. He is, first of all, he's the father of Andrew Luck, who's a quarterback in the NFL. Oh, the father but, of Andrew. Well, that's like being the fucking nicest guy in prison. But he's a former football player who transitioned to being a executive in football. And I think why he was important to the XFL, although I'm not justifying the $20 million salary, 
Although, quite frankly, when it comes to the commissioners of other sports, go look at how much they're being paid. It's ridiculous. But he was the guy who was able to bring some credibility to the fact that Vince McMahon had a football league. What? But they had credibility? They had more credibility this time than the first time by far. Well, that's because the NFL doesn't have as many fucking fans as they did 20 years ago either. Um, at least watching on television, but no, the, the fucking point, I can understand if the commissioner of the NBA or the NFL or whatever might be making $20 million because they're multi-billion dollar fucking sports industries, but outlaw football in its first season and you sign a contract with somebody for $20 million fucking dollars. You could have brought Dick Butkus back from the fucking dead to give somebody credibility with football people for $20 million. Reanimate the fucking corpse of goddamn Bronco Nagurski for 20 million. How is this guy potentially possibly worth $20 million? Why would Vince promise him $20 million? And we know why that Vince doesn't want to pay him $20 million. That's easy to guess. But what the fuck? I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Never underestimate Vince McMahon's desire to burn money. <laughs> to not just say, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm going to make as much money as I can from this and be happy. It's always, I did this, but I want to show everyone I could do more. How many millions can we burn through this time? And I think <sighs> that's what happened with the XFL here. I just saw that and I was like, I'm, you know, cumulatively, yes, John Cena's made $20 million from the WWF and WWE. Cumulatively, I'm sure Steve Austin did. I don't know if The Rock stayed around long enough to make the 20, but, but $20 million in a contract to one motherfucker from Vince McMahon. And it's not Steve Austin. It's not The Rock. It's not The Undertaker or John Cena or even Triple H. It's fucking Oliver Luck. I wish him good luck. I w- he should have re- been retained by fucking st- or retained Stephen P. New for this. He might have a chance of getting this money out of Vince. Can, can, do you see him getting it? Well, look, I think it is a little suspicious that they, what, they fired him. They sent him a termination letter the day before Vince cut the entire league, before he laid off everyone. <laughs> and then three days later, they file for bankruptcy. So I think it is suspicious that all of a sudden they fire him for cause a day before everyone else is let go and three days before they file for bankruptcy. I do think he has a chance to get the money. And uh, there's one thing we've seen that Jerry McDivitt is very successful unless the other side has a really good case and money. Jesse what, Ventura, what, 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 the, ex, the uh, WWF. So this will be interesting. What was the cause? Why did they fire him? I'm not, what did he I, fuck I have up? not seen that publicly uh, anywhere, so I don't know if that has been exposed to the public yet. Well, that will be interesting to see exactly what he fucked up one day before they decided to close the whole goddamn thing. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing. The timing is, I think, what damns Vince McMahon here beyond the bad concept well, and everything else. Yeah. Of course, because it's obvious what he's doing. But that uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen of the wrestling community. If you sign a contract for three years with an out clause every 90 days, then you just signed a 90-day contract. And apparently, even if it doesn't have an out clause, if they want to figure out a a reason why they can get rid of you, you're going to have to fucking wrestle them to get your money.
You know, we got a lot of questions about Vince. Should I ask him now or should we have some buffer topics in between? Oh God, while we're on while we're on Vince's subject, let's go ahead. Because I've I've got an email I want to read you also that's brought up something else we need to talk about. But go ahead. This was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Pamela in Bronx, New York. Do you think Vince McMahon's marriage to Linda is genuine or more a business arrangement? It seems Vince has little time for anything else besides running WWE. Outside of business, it appears Vince does not have any other interests or hobbies. So I wonder what kind of marriage or personal relationship someone like Vince would have. I'd, I don't want to comment uh, in front of millions of people around the world on other people's marriages and personal lives. Um, even Linda has become a public figure Well, she's, you know, spent a hundred million dollars trying to run for Senate. So she wanted to be even more of a public figure than she was, but it, it, Vince and Linda were very happily married couple for quite some time. I don't know that they spend as much time with each other as they used to since they have their own individual interests, but I believe it's the best thing for business that they probably never get divorced. So there you go. Okay. Very diplomatic. <laughs> this next Vince I, question. I, 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 I don't want to go into further speculation. I think your answer will cause further speculation, but this next question sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Mark in Essex, England. Can Jim confirm or deny the rumor that Vince McMahon is awake 24 hours a day? And sleeps one day a week. What? No, I've never heard that. But no, that's even ridiculous, even for Vince. He, I would say, in 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 the nineties, he might sleep six hours a night. Um, but but no, he never stayed up and then slept one day. No, that's uh, because then he would he would be mad. He wasted a whole day if he slept one whole day. He prefers to get sleep over, like everything else. Just get it over with. So we get back to work. You know, Elio Gracie, I believe, lived to be in his late 90s, and he said that one of the secrets to long life was getting at least, I think, 10 hours of sleep a night. Do you think all the years of not getting enough sleep catch up to someone like Vince? Well, see, that's a problem again, is that it would catch up to any normal human, but Vince has never been a normal human. So... Maybe now, you know, that maybe he has aged into normalcy. And yeah, I would think, you know, you would have to, he has to be getting more rest or more sleep or more peace and quiet or just relaxation now than he did then or elsewise. I don't see how he'd still be living. This next question sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Jay in San Antonio. Corny. Lately, there's been a lot of questions about Vince McMahon. And by the way, Jay, are we just on the, such a familiar basis that you can say, hey, corny? Well, there was no hey. It was just corny. It's corny. Lately, there, <laughs> lately, there's been a lot of questions about Vince McMahon. He's had a rough 2020 so far. My question to you is, who does he rely on to help him get through the tough times like this? Is it strictly family? Or does he have any close friends he can go to? Does he even have any legitimate friends? Oh, God. I mean, you're asking me to read his mind as to how he feels about people. 
Um, the only people that he is around on a regular basis are his family members, which it, it, and I would think right now, I don't know where Shane is living. Um, he's probably around or associates with Stephanie and triple H more than anybody else in the family because he works with them. Um, any friends he has that he sees on a regular basis would either have to be coming to Connecticut or the various events. And, and they pretty much all work for the WWE also. <laughs> I'm sure he, you know, it, it, in the wrestling business, you consider people friends. You might not talk to him on the phone for 12 fucking years, but they're still a friend. But I mean, no, he's, he's around the people that work for the company that he works with and his immediate family and whatever grandkids that that they have uh, these days, and that's pretty much it. Well, our final question here from this Vince section of the program was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com. I can't even speak. By Travis in New York City. I grew up on the Jersey Shore, so me and my dad always took the train up to Penn Station and watched the house shows at MSG. I'm about to turn 31 at the end of April. But when I was a kid, Stone Cold was hot as shit, and he was always working with Vince McMahon in one way or another. I can't remember when I was a kid, Stone Cold wasn't beating the shit out of Vince. My dad and his friend, who brought his kid to the show as well, always thought for how jacked Vince was and how he had some basic moves in the ring at some point, he had to learn how to work in front of a crowd under a mask. You know where or how Vince learned to take basic bumps. My dad has been gone coming up on four years now, but for his sake, did Vince work under a mask? Do you know how he learned to take bumps? Did he work under a mask? Well, no, first of all, no, he did not ever work under a mask. Um, You've heard that rumor though. I mean, that was a, that was something people used to say way back. Actually, I've never heard that either. Vince always wanted to be a wrestler, and his father wouldn't let him do it, but he wanted to show that he could do it. So at some point, he did wrestle under a mask. I don't think it's ever proven to be true, but it was a rumor. No, it's well, it's proven to be false right now. No, that's never fucking happened. Unless they did an angle when it was on Raw where it was Vince under a mask at some point. Somebody's going to come up with a picture. Maybe he did, but no. Um, not to anonymously learn how to work. No, Vince never wrestled under a mask. Um, the first in the nineties, in the attitude era, when they finally, I can't even remember what the first time he was in a ring for was, was it Austin? It was Austin, wasn't it? It was Austin. Okay. I mean, you know, they talked about it and I don't even remember whether Vince went to the warehouse at the studio before that or after that. It's at some point. Vince did go and do and work out, depending on what the match was, a couple things with a couple of guys at, at the warehouse. I know Tom Pritchard uh, helped out on a couple of occasions. It wasn't he wasn't taking wrestling lessons to learn to work from scratch. It was, and obviously his work showed he knew what this shit was supposed to look like, and he's an athletic guy, so he didn't completely look like you know, a fucking greenhorn, as they used to say on everything. And he surprised a lot of people, but that's because he, he was going to work his ass off and do whatever it fucking took to do it right. But he more or less worked out a few things for each specific 
match that was coming up just that he had to know or that, you know, whatever the fuck, right? A big bump or some shit like that, which is why you can tell his, his basics kind of suck, but at the same time, his matches were great because he, he was like the, I mean, he watched Buddy Rogers in person for fuck's sake. He was the master of wrestling psychology but he just had never done the shit at the age of fucking 50 something or whatever it was when he first started. So he looked green, but he got by and plus it's Vince. So it's already going to be over because they'd never seen such a thing before. And then, you know, after his, after the first few years, I'd seen him do a couple of things after that, that was, I was like, oh, I wish he hadn't gone that far. But, uh, you know, it, it, when you go back and look at those matches and did he have one with flair? Um, yeah, on, on a pay-per-view at the Royal Rumble and then Hogan at WrestleMania. Yeah. So all, I mean, they were tearing the fucking house down, even if some of his shit looked shitty because he knew what he was supposed to be doing and the matches made sense. And it was Vince and he was already over, but no, he never actually just had a match to just have a match. It was all for pay-per-view, you know, big event, things like that. One last Vince question here. This was sent in to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Dan in Melbourne, Australia. In the past, Jim has touched on various things Vince can't stand, won't allow in his wrestling product. Should say entertainment product. But can Jim shed any light on the style of wrestling and particular matches that Vince personally enjoys? Obviously, as a businessman, we know he likes anything that draws money. But on a personal level, did he ever talk about certain matches or programs that he loved? Or am I foolish to ever think of Vince as a wrestling fan rather than the cutthroat businessman that he is? Well, you know, now that that question is worded that way, I remember Vince, if he liked somebody and somebody had, had you know, done good business for him uh, and, you know, oh, what a, what a pro he was. Oh, it was just great. Oh, what a, he would praise individual people. But I don't remember him past when when the match would actually happen if it was a pay-per-view match he's well they just they did a great job just a great job or whatever or he would praise a match but i don't recall him on the top of my head off the top of my head right now ever saying the words wow i remember this great match so-and-so had or it was a great angle or he didn't tell stories about how much he enjoyed a, a great match from the past or a great angle or whatever. He would praise individual people and he'd say a match was good if it happened on his show and he was there and he watched it. Um, but uh, I don't I don't recall much fondness for great matches of days gone by. Because it, it probably it may not have pertained to whatever the fuck we were talking about. Current business, so he didn't bring it up. He saw Buddy Rogers live. We've all heard the stories about him riding around with Dr. Jerry Graham. Did he ever talk yep. about the wrestlers that he saw when he was a kid? Um, with the exception of of Rogers and and Jerry Graham, and even then, he's not going to launch into fucking stories to tell. That's that's one thing is is me and Bruce. If we were sitting by ourselves, we'd tell a bunch of fucking old stories. Uh, but Vince was not one to launch into stories. He would reference people in making a larger point. Um, and every once in a while he'd have some fond one sentence recollection of Dr. Jerry Graham or whatever, but he, you know, it was, he's not a fucking chit chatter and a recollector. So you didn't get a lot of story stories. All right. Well, we have another Vince question here. 
This was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Christopher James Graham. I came across a series of That's a person who sounds way too snooty. We'll see about that. I came across a series of stories on Twitter about Vince. I was wondering if we can get Jim's thoughts on their veracity and if he's heard any of these before. And I have a Twitter thread here by a friend of the show, Alan Blackstock, on Twitter, at Alan underscore Cheap Shot. Let's hear if you know any of these stories, if you can confirm or deny them. All right. Vince hates sneezing. When someone sneezes, he yells at them and tells them to control themselves. On the rare occasion Vince sneezes, he angrily mutters to himself and loses focus <laughs> for a few minutes. This was said by Paul Heyman on Chris Jericho's podcast. I can testify to part of that. I've ever never actually seen Vince sneeze, I don't believe. I It seems like that would stand out. Nobody Now it seems like everybody knows that Vince doesn't like sneezing. But nobody actually in 1996 told me specifically, don't ever sneeze around Vince. Because I remember one specific time, I think it was, God, I can't remember, but it may have been in early 97. I remember I was real sick at WrestleMania that year with some kind of bronchial thing or whatever. But anyway, it's a writing day. We go to Vince's and I knew enough to know that you can't just call in sick with Vince, right? Uh, But at the same time, I'm fucking sick. So I'm there, but you know, I'm ready to do what I'm going to do, but I can't control that I'm coughing and wheezing and sneezing every once in a while and stopped up and just I'm miserable right you know my eyes are water whatever if I've got a bad cold or whatever so I'm trying to do the old I'll put up the brave face and I will basically demonstrate my suffering to where that any normal human being would have pity and would say you know what you're sick go home get some rest right so that I can't ask, but I can accept that offer, right? I figure it's just a matter of time before anybody will make this offer. The offer wasn't coming. I'm fucking, and I really am fucking miserable. I'm not having to sell it too bad, and I'm doing the best I can, but I'm just. <laughs> and Vince is, he's giving me all the faces, and he's looking at me, you know, and finally he's, are you all right? I said, oh, I'll be okay, Vince, because you got to fucking, you know, you got to plead your case. You got to be a plaintiff. You got to say, no, I'll be okay, because that's part of the fucking what making it look good, right? Then he wouldn't come back with, are you sure? You know, he was, so then a few minutes later, I'll make some more noise. And he, come here. Are you going to be all right there? I said, well, yeah, yeah, Vince, I'll, I'll, I'll make it somehow. And you always, you know the rule of this, Brian. You always wait till the offer is made and you turn the offer down the first time and the offer maker insists, right? That's the way it works. <laughs> That's the fucking rule. So finally the offer comes. Well, Jim, do you think you need to go home? Oh, no, I'll, I'll be all right. <laughs> all right, then, page six. I'm like, motherfucker. He did not, he did not insist. He broke the rule and I had to sit there all day and I was fucking miserable. I'm sure I've fucking had a fever, but no, he, you know, that's his. And then after the fact, you know, became that, you know, he not only doesn't put sickness over, but he doesn't like to see displays of it. Well, he should have told me to go home. Then he wouldn't have to look at it. 
Vince once raced former WWE writer Court Bauer on an open highway. Vince boxed in Court so that Court was heading straight for road construction. Court had to slam on his brakes to avoid an accident. Vince sped off, having won the race by almost killing a guy. That is true. (laughs) I can't really add anything to it. That's, That's true. Vince went bowling with an NBC executive. (laughs) <laughs> the guy had done something Vince didn't like. Obviously, so. obviously, since they were bowling, they were wearing bowling shoes. Vince sneaked off, got the guy's real shoes from behind the counter, tossed the shoes in the garbage, and left. The guy had no idea where his shoes were and had to go home wearing the gross bowling shoes. Vince contacted him later and said, that's what you get, pal. The guy wrote a book and said that Vince was the biggest jerk he'd ever met in real life. No, but wait a minute. He didn't throw the guy's shoes away. Didn't he just take one shoe and take it with him? I believe so. And I believe the story yeah. was it was potentially a birthday party for Dick Ebersol and the person whose shoes were stolen by Vincent Pat Patterson, I believe. Yeah. Was Frank the Ford. That's right. Yes, it was. It was yes. It was a party for Ebersol, but DeFord, the sports writer, got his shoes stolen. Vince, but they, they didn't, he didn't throw them in the garbage. He actually took them with him so they wouldn't be there. Vince, as a prank, had real police arrest Jonathan Coachman for running a betting pool at work. Coach said that when the cop car finally turned around and brought him back to WWE headquarters, he openly wept in relief and rage. Well, yes. And I mean, that's uh, the classic have a guy arrested rib. They they arrested me in Spartanburg one night. I've told that story before. They had Arn Anderson in the back of a police car in Charlotte uh, at the Coliseum, allegedly on a statutory rape charge, and he was shitting himself until he looked out the, the back window and there was fucking Flair and Tully and whoever else leaning in laughing at him, and they let him out of the car. Uh, yeah, it's an old, have one of the boys arrested. It's just, you got to get one of the guys that hasn't been around long. So they're not smart to it and get the cops to go along with it. But in those days, you know, cops were regulars. So uh, yes, that is true. Also Vince got wasted at a strip club and let the heart foundation hit their finisher on him and they hit him really hard. I don't remember whether it was a strip club or just a hotel bar. Do you? I don't remember, but I believe it was the Hart Foundation after the Legion of Doom had hit the Doomsday device. Yeah, well, see, he he wanted this was back in the eighties, but by the time that I knew him in the nineties, no, this was could, this, this was ninety two, I believe. Okay, well, the the pre the pre trial era, um, and I guess maybe after he had that neck surgery, he didn't take too many of the guys finishes anymore. But, uh, yes, he would occasionally uh, go out and partake in adult beverages with the boys. And on this particular night, somehow or another, he decided he was going to take all the guys' finishes. And somewhere or another, the Road Warriors managed to do the doomsday device on him to where it didn't fucking kill him. But the Heart Foundation cinched up and were a little snug with him while they had the opportunity. Vince said something insulting to Kofi Kingston on a plane, and Kofi didn't do anything. As they were getting off the plane, Chris Jericho told Kofi that if he didn't confront and fight Vince immediately, Kofi's career was effectively over in Vince's mind. This was how Vince tested his talent. Uh, Well, that story is true. Jericho's told it. I wasn't there, obviously, at that point in time. But it, 
it's almost like events has has gotten younger uh mentally <laughs> that because when I knew him, he he it's not like he would have turned back down from a fight from anybody, but he didn't actively want to fucking fight or fucking whatever with the boys. But somehow in the, the decade after that, he's you're always hearing the stories about either somebody has to stand up to him, wrestle him, threaten to fight him, or get on the plane and fucking face lock him or whatever. But uh but that story is true. Former nine oh two one oh writer Larry Molan joined Stephanie's creative team. They were in a meeting with Vince. Vince was talking. Larry was nodding. Stephanie pulled Larry out of the room. She told him, quote, you need to stop nodding. Vince <laughs> hates nodding. She explained that if there's one thing Vince hates, it's a yes man. This is extra hilarious because everyone always says that Vince is surrounded by yes men. Poor Larry lasted just a couple of weeks. <laughs> I, you know, once again, I never had him, never saw him yell at anybody for nodding or speak ill of anybody for nodding, but I'm not a big nodder. I don't nod a lot. I don't know that Bruce ever nodded a lot. I didn't see a lot of people around him nodding. Maybe I just caught him at the wrong time with a lot of non-nodders. So you think that's probably true? Well, I mean, it, if if they tell that story because it sounds like something that Stephanie would say. Vincent... I, I can't dispute it, is what I'm saying. Vince invited Mark Henry to a workout session. Bear in mind that Mark Henry's claim as the world's strongest man is based on the fact that he is the only man to have competed at top-level Olympic lifting, powerlifting, and strongman competitions. Vince tried to out-rep him on every exercise. Henry went along with it because he's competitive and even admitted that Vince tested him a little bit. Mark says that he actually quit. Before Vince did, Vince phoned Mark in great pain and admitted he had made a terrible mistake. You know anything about this story? I haven't heard it, but I can believe it. It's a, it sounds entirely believable. Vince was hesitant to hire Gail Kim due to her being Asian. Jim Ross convinced him not only because of her in-ring talent, but the fact that many men are attracted to Asian women <laughs> and that there are even lots of Asian porn sites on the internet. This apparently shocked the hell out of Vince, who had no idea Asian porn sites existed. I have heard JR tell that story. So, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, that's a, well, you're talking about a guy that never even saw television. I don't know when he would have time to look at entertainment on the Internet. So, I'm, you know, Vince may be like fucking Quagmire when they they tipped him to the fact there was porn on the fucking Internet. He didn't know it. And then he. You see him three days later, his right arm is three times as big around as his left one. I, you know, but, uh, but all I, the Vince McMahon's idea of a drop dead, gorgeous woman is fucking sable as we've mentioned before. And the only thing that I was ever able to glean of Vince's Romantic preferences is that he and Shitstain were both all fired up over the idea of seeing Sable wearing white cotton panties. And I just fucking zoned out when they, when they would go into those discussions. The McMahons playing pool at their holiday home in Boca. Triple H and Stephanie against Vince and Linda. It was supposed to be a fun family game and Vince turned it into a serious competition. Triple H and Stephanie kept getting lucky and were winning. Vince was getting mad at Linda because she was making their side lose. 
<laughs> Eventually, Stephanie ended up potting for the win, and he cracked up and stalked off. Later that night, she called him through the intercom and sang, You're tied to the whipping post, Dad, to piss him off. And from their bedroom, Steph and Triple H could hear him literally screaming in anger on the other side of the house. <laughs> well, the only person that could have told that story would have been Stephanie. So I would have to believe that because she would have been there. Tiger Ali Singh complained to Vince about making him wear a turban and traditional Indian garb, <laughs> telling him it was offensive to his people and a desecration. Vince replied, quote, you and D'Lo are going to put those fucking turbans on. I don't care about desecration. Is there any truth to that? You would have been there, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if I was specifically standing in front of him, but yeah, Tiger Ali Singh, I was there for that whole debacle. Tiger Ali Singh was the son of Tiger Jeet Singh. Tiger Jeet Singh was a huge wrestling personality in the Toronto market and the Ontario area in general, and also in Japan where he'd had a long run with the Noki's company. Like if, if the Sheik, when the Sheik was, was Baba's crazy guy, Tiger Jeet Singh was Inoki's crazy guy. He came out with the, with a turban. Tiger Jeet Singh, the father did, came out with a turban and he, what is he? Pakistani or Hindu of some description. Um, and he had a, a sword saber type of thing and he would beat up the fans on the way to the ring I didn't let you answer that question, Brian. Is he is a Hindu of some description, correct? I believe so, yes. Okay. I'm not certain of and that. Well, I'm not trying to be racist here, but you know, that's why the name Tiger Jeet Singh. He is from some Middle Eastern country or whatever. And there is a large population in Ontario, especially in Toronto, of his people, which is why that he was very over at one time in Toronto and had all kinds of, you know, sellouts with the Sheik and blah, 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 and, and made a lot of money there. So anyway, Tiger Jeet Singh is retired at this time. It's 1996 or whatever, seven, but he's a rich guy. I think there's a school in Ontario named after him. Is there not? There is. I believe it's what, yeah. in Canada. It's him and is it Whipper Billy Watson? Are those him and Whipper guys? Billy Watson. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's still a name in the community. He's a rich guy. He made money, put it into real estate, whatever. His son wants to get into wrestling. They should have named him George Singh. But anyway, his son is a big, tall, good-looking guy. We see the pictures, and they, as some way or another, the deal is going to be that not only is if, – if they take Tiger Ali Singh, the son – and the Ali was to honor Muhammad Ali because they're Muslim, whatever they're, the, the people, the, the lineage they are, whatever, they're Muslim. So the tiger Ali saying is to honor his father and Muhammad Ali. And not only if we take the son and use him, then Tiger Jeet Singh has some connections in the Middle East that is going to get these huge paid tours, right? And as we know, Vince has always been a, a big fucking fan of paid, huge paid tours to the Middle East, right? So this was 25 years ago. So, and also there was talk about, you know, he's so influential in Toronto, but we held, we were already doing fucking big business in Toronto. But they signed Tiger, Tiger Ali Singh. And he's one of those guys, not only is he, he's greener than a pepper tree, 
he his dad has worked with his dad was not a an accomplished worker as far as wrestling he did his gimmick he was like the sheik he did his gimmick and if it was anybody else doing it it was bleh right would you attest to that he was not very good in the ring and he was and he was not even as over as the sheik but he just had those pockets of places and because of his ethnic heritage where he was very influential although he looked really cool in the japanese magazines when you see photos it was like, wow, this guy has a saber and he's out there yes. doing crazy stuff. But then you'd watch the matches and it was like, oh boy. Yeah, it was brutal. But anyway, so, but also Tiger Ali saying thinks that he should be a big star from the start because he's, you know, imagine if this, the Sheik telling his son, Captain Ed George, he should be a star times 20. Tiger Ali saying is deterred. He's supposed to be a big star. He's dry on promos. He just, he wasn't an outgoing personality. He got heat with the boys. It, he had, he had heat because he wasn't very good. And also because they'd signed him and were trying to give him somewhat of a push. And I think I can't remember whether the turban episode was before they tried him out and his father made some appearances and then come to find out, wouldn't you know who won the pony? <clears throat> those paid Middle Eastern appearances didn't actually pan out. Apparently the way if, if they panned out at all, I can't remember, but the, there wasn't a lot of money in the pan if they did pan out. And suddenly Tiger Jeet Singh's not making any more appearances and they've got Tiger Ali Singh on this contract. And I can't remember whether the turban thing, as I said, was either before or after they finally gave up and sent him to Puerto Rico. Uh, any They had a relationship at the time with whichever what IWA was what Victor Quinones was with back at that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they, they sent Tiger Ali Singh to Puerto Rico. They sent Russ McCullough, my big seven foot fucking abortion from OVW. They sent him to Puerto Rico, whoever they wanted to run off of a developmental deal that they couldn't break any other way. Cause these were the early ones. <laughs> they sent them to Puerto Rico, figured they could run them off. And finally, I think they ended up in some kind of lawsuit, if I'm not mistaken, with Tiger Ali Singh by the time that they ended their contractual relationship. So I can, but yes, you're going to put these fucking turbans on. At that point, if he wanted him to wear a fucking ballet tutu, they were doing everything they could do to, to first, they did everything they could with him. And then they did everything they could to get rid of him with old Tiger Ali Singh. A few years ago. The company had a snow cone party. Kind of weird, I know. This was in the back lot of the TV studio, not the actual large headquarter building that everyone always sees. Well, apparently Vince is a huge snow cone fanatic. <laughs> so much so that he had a lot of them. Like 10. At one point, he got up and announced in front of everyone in his Mr. McMahon, you're fired voice that he loves snow cones. It was awkward, and I had to fight to hold back my laughter. It was surreal. I'm not sure who said that, but it's in quotes. I can believe that also. I've never seen Vince eat a snow cone, but I can believe that that story might be true. Vince thinks throwing or pushing someone into a swimming pool while fully clothed <laughs> is the funniest thing on planet Earth. On planet Earth, excuse me. I could attest to that being true because I've been one of the people in the pool. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't bad weather, thankfully. It was one of the days that we were writing out by the pool because it was good weather. But toward the end of the day, 
I can't remember how that I bit on the hook, but it was something to the effect of Bruce was saying, well, there was something he, I, he couldn't believe that Vince had that written on the bottom of the pool. I said, what? Yeah, Vince had whatever the fuck it was he's telling me written on the bottom of the pool. And I, he said, you can see it from right there. So I go over and as I'm looking, trying to see, it was just the 16, not 16 foot, but the six foot or whatever fucking depth. And I said, that's, and right then there's Vince's hands from behind, whoosh, straight in the fucking pool. Oh God, he loved it. Everybody apparently that has been to say he never did it to Pat, I don't think, but everybody that's been to Vince's house for a work day has been in the pool apparently, or at least at, as of that point they had. And so then I've got no fucking clothes because my clothes are wet, right? I've got to go home. So he said, oh, here, pal, and he got me a sweatshirt and a pair of sweatpants, and, and it was actually a jacket. I remember I got a jacket to wear uh, home, so it must have been spring briskish as it got dark. And it, the jacket, I said, I'll bring this back to you. He said, oh, don't worry, pal, keep it. Well, it was the sleeves looked like a straight jacket because Vince is a lot taller and bigger than me in the upper body. Uh, so I had it in the closet for a long time, and then when I moved, I should have kept it. But it was like one of those jackets that probably was a designer jacket, probably not a suit jacket, but a coat, probably paid $500 for it, and he didn't give a shit. said, oh, don't worry, keep it. But yes, I've been in the pool. One time... He got drunk and urinated on Ric Flair's hotel bed. <laughs> I have not heard that. I've heard that. Okay. Paul Heyman talked about Vince's competitiveness. Vince supposedly has a world-class thick beard, but shaves constantly. <laughs> Heyman asked Vince why he doesn't just let the beard grow out and save himself the trouble, and Vince's answer was, I can't let it win. <laughs> well, we've told the shaving story here just recently, so we're not going to talk about it. But yeah, he shaves constantly with his electric razor that he keeps in his briefcase in the back of the limo. He's fucking grinding it on his face. So I can believe that even if it came from Heyman. Vince holds a meeting with all of the talent announcing the switch to PG programming. Michael Tarver stands up and asks a question. <laughs> Vince's response. Excellent question, Shelton. <laughs> oh my God. I heard that a long time ago. I heard that a long time ago. See No Evil, the film that Kane did. Vince wants this scene in the movie where Kane's character pulls out his penis and he wants it to be three feet long. I thought there was a connection problem. I said, Greg, can you just back up and repeat that last line for me? He goes, yes, Vince wants Kane's penis to be three feet long, and none of the producers are saying anything about it. <laughs> uh, well, here's one of your stories. Jim Cornette was at Vince's house, and Vince had somebody from the cable company working on a TV yeah. because the sound wouldn't work. The guy came up to Vince holding the remote control and explained to him what a mute button was, and that mute was on. Vince gave him a $100 tip. Is that accurate? That is I've witnessed that with my own eyes. And it wasn't like he was working on the TV. So here's the thing. When we'd be there, Vince, Linda would be at the office. She still worked in the office on the other end of the fourth floor. Um, and she would go to the office every day. So the only people there in the house would be the couple. The, and gosh, I can't remember their names. But this man and this woman, they were a married couple. <clears throat> and they lived there and did the cooking and housework and cleaning and things. And they lived in some 
I don't know. There was a there was an old building in the back that was like a three car garage or whatever. That when Shane got married to Marissa, Vince had that renovated. Spent like a couple of hundred grand renovating it and gave it to him for a wedding present. But I so I think the 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 live in couple lived in another wing of the actual house. But anyway, otherwise, that there was nobody there. And if they would be off doing errands or going to shopping or whatever the fuck, it was just us. Well. Uh, at one day, but you would see people on a regular basis. They'd be wandering around either on the grounds or in the house. Cause there was always some work going on. Uh, groundskeepers would be there or somebody would be coming in to do something. Well, on this particular day, we're sitting there in the dining room and, and the doorbell. And I guess Vince goes up cause the couple was gone. So Vince goes up and opens it. Oh yeah, pal, come this way. And it's the guy from the cable cable company. He says right back there. And he points to the room, the little, living room they had around the edge past the kitchen and the dining room it's where that big painting of vince is on the wall with that big opulent frame he's got the big arms and everything um but anyway he said back there pal uh there's no sound so we're sitting there and the guy comes back around the corner like a minute and a half later with the remote in his hand and he says uh, sir see this the mute button that's what the problem was Oh, thank you, Pat. He reaches in his pocket and hands the guy a hundred dollar bill. But uh, there would be so many people wandering around there. Sometimes Vince would look up and just see some guy that he had no idea who the fuck it was walking down his hallway, and he'd shake his head and say, "I don't know who these people are." But there, uh, one time, we're working out by the pool. It's me and Bruce and Vince, and Pat's supposed to come over, but he hadn't showed up yet. Well, Vince has to go in and take a private phone call in his study. So me and Bruce are sitting there by the pool. Pat shows up. Oh, Pat sits there. And we start now with <laughs> with Pat where Vince is not the king of chit-chat. Vince, you know, has to, you have to be talking about something of substance. Pat just loves to chit-chat. And we sat there and we just bullshitting back and forth, enjoying the weather, whatever. But finally, Pat's like, fuck, is he ever going to come out here? He's got that accent. And, you know, it's like he knows sometimes you would literally sit there on some writing days. You would sit there for an hour and a half or two hours, just twiddle your dick to wait for Vince to come out of some telephonic conference. So we said, I don't know, he's been in there a while. So Pat, I don't know whether he saw a reflection through the window like he thought he was coming or he just said, well, just watch this. He went around, but he waited for a couple minutes around the where the pool is. It's landscaped and there's these bushes. And you can't really see past the barbecue area at the end of the pool. And there was already, there was the groundskeepers were doing their work, right? All around, you hear the lawnmower down the way and you hear this guy's raking and doing his thing. Well, Pat goes around the deal. Vince comes out. He doesn't know Pat's there. Pat has gone around to one of these fucking landscapers and got his leaf blower. And it's one of those fucking gasoline powered leaf blowers where you can really rev that thing up, right? And cause some turbulence in the air and so as vince sits down he starts talking again he says all right where were we pat starts revving that thing up behind the bushes and now vince all morning we've been talking about his his mexican ground grounds crew right the the what the fuck was it Uh, it, his mexican ground crew had a italian name because they're in connecticut so it's like the lambrini brothers but every single one of them is mexican so we would laughing about that so anyway Pat's got this fucking leaf blower. Vince doesn't know Pat's there. Pat starts revving that thing up right behind the bushes on the other side of the fucking railing from the pool area where we're sitting. 
And it's like he's doing the work, and Vince has seen him all morning. So he, he looks over, and he kind of disgusted, like, ah, oh, this guy's right on top of us now. And he continues talking, and Pat revs it up louder. And Vince he looks over his shoulder again, and he's like, continues talking. And then Pat revs it up louder. He blows through the bushes, and now the wind's coming through the bushes, and it's blowing Vince's shit. And Vince looks over his shoulder, hey, amigo, amigo, por favor, whatever he's trying to fucking <laughs> And in response to this, Pat revs the shit up and just fucking floors the goddamn gasoline leaf blower. It's the loudest thing, and he's shooting the wind straight through the goddamn bushes. And Vince's toupee is almost ready to come off. No, I'm kidding. It's, but he's fucking hair and everything, and the shit's flying all off the table. And Vince gets up and goes around like he's going to go on the other side of those bushes and cut a promo on this motherfucker. And he goes, hey, amigo. And just then Pat fucking leans around from the other side of the bushes. And he sees it. And now he's got to laugh because Pat got him. And he loves Pat. So he's fucking horse laughing. But that's the kind of shit that they would that we would occupy ourselves with. Well, that ends the Vince McMahon portion <laughs> of the drive-through today. A lot of people have been fascinated by Vince's behavior the last few weeks, more than uh what the last few weeks. Well, we have never received people, the, people have been fascinated about Vince's behavior for thirty-five fucking years. The amount of questions that have been coming in have been extraordinary about Vince. Well, there it is, Jimmy. Another zany story. I don't even know which one it was. I'm not even going to try to guess. Wait a How do you know it was zany? It might have been pithy. Oh, it could have been. It might have been pithy, full of pith, full of gravitas, and and of of substantive content, rather than just some zaniness, wackiness, goofiness. What's Vince's favorite word? Like, if there's a word you think of, like, oh my god, that's the word that Vince would use all the time. What is oh, it? Um, Batten down the hatches? Did he ever say no. that? <laughs> Was that only on the air? <laughs> if you notice, Vince uses a lot of I don't even know. I, I didn't retain enough of what I learned in English class in school to remember the descriptions of these words, but he uses a lot of words like notwithstanding and nevertheless and the things that make him sound professorial when he's speaking, If he, especially when he's on one of those conference calls or whatever. It, it's He's just got to especially when he, if for public consumption – He's got that dignified way of speaking where he kind of can go around in circles if he wants to. I think of that sometimes. Well, notwithstanding the and as an announcer, he would do the same thing. If you if you recall. Um so something like that off the top of my head. Well, Jim, notwithstanding that answer, let's talk about the top of your head. You got nothing to worry about. Now, some other people, they may have things to worry about. Well, no, what we were going to mention was, I just, I brought this up because I thought that it was worthy of conversation. Nobody has said anything about Vince's hair lately because everybody's talked about, has Vince had plastic surgery or is Vince wearing makeup or why is Vince wearing lipstick? Is it possible that, you know, whatever deal with the devil or experimental <laughs> medical treatment involving draining all the blood from his body has caused him to have to wear the makeup and the stuff that looks like they put it on with a trowel, but his hair is some salt and pepper in there, but it looks almost as good as it did 25 years ago, while the rest of his faculties may be drooping and wilting. And I'm just wondering 
if Vince has gone to all the expense, that you you know he will spare no expense. And if he needs to have something, he'll have the best. Has he gone to all the expense and trouble and time and pain of having extra hair stuck into his head and the way that some people do it? Or did he get in on the the early, you know, because Vince is, he's a predatory businessman. Maybe he get a, got in on the early stages of keeps. And that's what's, and now, even though all the rest of his faculties and or bodily functions are, are <laughs> headed south on him, he's got a big old head of hair. And I mean, not only, you know, because when he'd be out on TV, we used to joke that even a hurricane or a tornado or whatever, a thunderstorm couldn't blow that hair because it was carefully sprayed and brushed and quaffed and slackered and slackered and nothing was going to harm it on TV days. But when we'd go to his house and, you know, for a writing day and he'd be in his workout clothes, maybe that, you know, the uh, Ica pro shirt with no sleeves and sweatpants and, why he still had that big old shock of hair that he'd run his hand through every once in a while. And it was just all fluffy and, and everything. He, he looked like he was just a hair model waiting to happen. And now once again, like I said, everything else has gone South. He still got his hair at almost 80 years old. And you know, we've talked about it. Two out of three men in America. Well, I guess around the world will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35, but there's Vince. He's almost 80. I think he was in on the ground floor of keeps. More than 50 million men in the United States suffer from male pattern baldness. But yet, therefore, there's Vince still with everything growing out. No, no dry patches, no bald spots that we can see. I think he's on the keeps because actually, folks, keeps offers the only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss, but they offer the generic versions of them so they won't cause financial loss because the treatments are low-cost. They start at just $10 a month. Discreet packaging and proven results keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, but prevention is the key, folks. Treatments can take four to six months to see the results. You got to start now, act fast, do what Vince did, start 25 years ago. And when you're 80 years old, you'll still look like the ass end of a peacock. Folks, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash J-C-E and get your first month of treatment for free. Keeps dot com slash J-C-E to get your first month's treatment for free. Be like Vince. Keeps your hair. That's right. Be like Vince. Keeps your hair. and. You know, it's funny, back in the old days, he used to tell the commentators to make fun of his, he used to call it a wig. You know, Sam yes. wearing a wig. They don't make fun of his wig anymore. <laughs> and now, of course, it's not the real color. I don't know what color it is. But that's not, it is a gray head of hair, whatever he does have. But it's, it's you know, it's still, it's hair there. And that, yeah, he used to, uh, because it was so, it was real hair. and Because uh, a lot of people may have believed all those wig jokes. It, his hair was always real. It was just that it was so perfect that the joke was that it couldn't possibly be real. And we I don't know if the story is in this program, so I won't go into great detail, but everybody knows that once a week, 
he used to have a limousine take him from either the office in Stanford or sometimes even his home in Greenwich, where the polo ponies roam free, down to this hotel in New York City to get a haircut from the guy that cut his hair once a week. So how many hairs is he cutting? And the haircut, and this was in the late 90s, cost $100, plus tip, I assume. So Vince was spending $400 plus tips plus four limo rides to from Connecticut to New York and back every month 25 years ago on, on his hair. He's the fool. He, he's the one who chose to live in Greenwich. He could have lived anywhere he wanted. Isn't the story that he once said that when he was starting things up, he, I read this somewhere, I don't remember where, he was going to live in one of two places, Beverly Hills or Greenwich, Connecticut. He just figured those are the places to be the person I want to be, I would need to live. I can't, I, I don't know that I ever saw that, but I, I can't shoot it down as false because it sounds like something he'd say. Except I think probably uh, he uh, he obviously always wanted to be in New York, but if it wasn't going to happen there, I'm sure that California would have suited his his principles. Could you see Vince living in a city? Oh yes. Um, see, that's the thing. He used one time we're in the limo, right, going to something, and I, for whatever reason, it was just me and him on the way to the shoot. Bruce wasn't there. Jr. wasn't there. And I'm just looking out the window at the traffic. And at least with the limo, it's not so nerve-wracking. You're not the one driving. I didn't have any fucking financial interest in his limousine. So as long as they didn't kill us, I didn't care whether we got hit or dinged or whatever. And at least if you're sitting there at a in a limo at a red light or blocked traffic, you're not looking at the ass end of a dump truck. You know, it's a little bit more comfortable, so that's the way to go in New York, but I'm just looking at the traffic and the chaos and the noise and the people, and it's my seventh level of hell, as you know, to be in the middle of New York City. It's gotten Everything, worse. Well, and, and it's gotten worse, yeah. In terms so, of driving around the city, it's never been worse. Uh, well, there you, but I'm not even driving, walking, hanging from a light post, whatever the case may be, it, to be in a major city is my just horror. And, it, and I'm looking and I'm going, oh, geez, it takes so long to get anywhere here. And he's like, but pal, the city, it's nothing like it. You'd get used to it. You can eat anytime you want. You can go anywhere you want. Everything's always, there's always something going on. I said, that's the problem. <laughs> but he likes that. And that's, you know, and that's so, yes. And I think in recent years, in addition to the, to the little place out in Greenwich, he's had some kind of, penthouse apartment in manhattan uh or somewhere in new york i don't know the geography and also he had a place that for a while he was staying in in stamford when he didn't go to all the way home to greenwich 12 miles away or whatever so it's but then at the same time every the years in the late 90s that i was working for him it was a rib that we talked about at christmas we would get some form of relief. And that was until Raw started going live every week. We'd get a little relief because it was a tradition. He Either 10 or 14 days, he would go to his place in Florida. 
And that was the holiday vacation that he and Linda and I guess Shane would go or Stephanie would, depending on what their ages were, whatever. And so you'd have a little relief, right? Even though he'd still call and he was working there and he'd call people on the phone. But this, I never saw it, but it was described to me as a, a $10 million mansion in Florida that sat out on, I don't know whether it's down in the Fort Lauderdale area or wherever it was, but some ritzy South Miami, whatever. It sat out on one of those peninsulas, so you literally, the, the windows, you could see through this house, and there was ocean on three sides of it. And it's just this glorious place. And I said, well, what the, he only goes there two weeks a year? It's worth $10 million? It's this beautiful? I said, and I one time I said, why don't they rent it out? Well, then it wouldn't be available if he wanted to go to <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> That's when I, I realized that this is a whole new level of, you know, if I had enough money to have a $10 million second home, you'd never see my fat white ass again. That's all I got to say. Our next question, Jim, was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Casey. You've said on previous drive throughs that rich weirdo Vince McMahon <laughs> never took the time to sit down and enjoy a movie or TV show. So my question is, when you were working closely with Vince McMahon, did the rich weirdo ever listen to any music? And if so, who were his favorite artists? Oh, God. I mean, you know, he would talk about musicians in conversation when it came up or applied or whatever. <laughs> you know, there, there was, I'm sure, some spirited Elvis discussion when we were talking about Honky Tonk Man once or twice. Uh, but, was he a big Elvis fan? No, I'm not saying he was a big Elvis fan. I'm just, you know, and then he'd start doing the impersonations and everything. Oh, man, hey, Elvis has left the building and all that stuff. He knew who these people were. The major, major names. I do also, I heard the story at, before I got there. It was one of the Summer Slams. Did they do a Summer Slam in Toronto? Before you got there? I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Back in the late 80s, 90s, whatever the fuck. The point is, I don't know, but there was a Summer Slam where Bruce was always telling this story, and he told it in front of Vince, so it was true in this case from Bruce. That Joe Walsh, they could get Joe Walsh to do the national anthem and of the Eagles and fucking Joe Walsh. And Vince had no idea who that was. And he ended up getting somebody else that was like that he knew who the fuck they were and it was a bomb or some shit like that. But no, he knew who major entertainers were. But here's the thing I can't imagine when he would have. I don't remember us turning the radio on in the car because if we were in the car, we were talking about the TV that we were going to or working in some kind of way. JR, everybody attests to that. Get your books out, guys. The only person who couldn't get his book out was whoever was driving. If you went to the office, if you got there at nine o'clock, Vince was already in his office, the big executive office on the corner behind the, you know, Beth Zaza was his secretary there and you'd turn right and there was a, he was already there pretty much before everybody else and he didn't leave until after everybody else that's how russo would sit there until 8 8 30 in the evening to catch vince coming out of his office to pitch his shit 
on a writing day, we'd get there at nine o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't leave until fucking seven o'clock at night charitably. And there wasn't even a TV in that room. The radio was never on. I don't, and I know that he works out in the mornings, but maybe he listens to music when he works out, but he works out either in his home gym or he'd sometimes come to the office in those days and work out at the gym there, but that would be in the morning before nine o'clock. So when does it, when does the fucking guy, when would he ever watch television on oh, no, fucking uh, uh, taping days? He was one of the first ones in the building and you wouldn't leave until the show was over. It's not like there were phones where you could watch television on your phone uh, in those days. If there was a monitor in his office so he could monitor the show that they were shooting that night, but not a television. I don't know when this fucking human being would ever have time to watch television. And music, you never, ever listen to music in the car. Uh, No, because we'd, we'd always be talking. I remember listening to music with him when he would get samples or potential new music for new talents. I remember that. What was that process like? Well, just everyone. I mean, it wouldn't be like a regular thing, but I remember on several occasions, well, what do you think of this song? Or what do you think of this? They're working on this or whatever. But that would be the only, that wasn't a regular thing. And that would be the only time that uh, he didn't watch TV at the studio. He watched the monitor for the whatever the fuck we were shooting at the studio or airing at the studio. That's literally what Vince did. If, if, if he was not traveling for work, he was at the office or he was working at home. And with a two-hour workout at least once a day plus a long work day. And, I mean, now maybe things are different when you can watch television anywhere now. But in those days... there was literally not time for him to watch television. And when we would leave on those writing days at seven, seven thirties, nine, eight o'clock at night, after we'd been there almost 12 hours or whatever, he had had lunch. We'd gone to get lunch at the store down the road from his house, but he'd still hadn't had dinner. So he's going to have to eat dinner. (laughs) Would he go with you to the store? Yeah, he'd drive. Fuck. Yeah. Come on. Let's go get some lunch. Whenever we get to some type of stopping point and we just pile in in one of his vehicles and he'd drive us down there and he'd buy the fucking lunch, whether it me and Bruce or me and shit stain or all of us, whatever, who, whoever was in the group. And, uh, we'd come back and eat it at the the dining room table real quick, clean everything off and get back to work. So he'd be eating the giant Turkey, white meat, Turkey sandwich, on on white bread, but with just the barest bit of mustard to give it some flavor. And I'd be sitting there either eating a greasy cheeseburger or those chicken fingers that they made down there. I'd dip in fucking ranch. And he'd look at me like I was literally scooping shit into my mouth with my hands. And uh, and then we'd go back to work. There was no... If it was good weather, we'd sit out by the pool and then you'd have to have a paperweight because the wind out there, you know, but since they get so little good weather in Connecticut... He'd want to go out by his poolside. So we'd sit on the table out there and he'd have your something sitting on your book to keep the pages from blowing away and something sitting on your formats and pens and things and drinks set and, and talk about the same shit out at the pool, which was 50 feet from the dining room. That was as far as you would go as far as getting away from work. 
he wasn't always in the steroids and bodybuilding. Did he ever say like while you were eating, oh, I used to eat that or I haven't had a hamburger in years, but I used to no, anything. No, he, he never put over. He would always talk about, you know, food is fuel. He ate because it was, it was necessary fuel, but he never put over that. He used to fucking sneak. I mean, you know, he has cheat things and guilty things and he binges like, uh, what the fuck was it? There's some things. If he's Oreos that he binges on. I think something like that, but he'll, you know, but it very rare because that shows a lack of discipline. And then he treats himself by having whatever the fuck he might want and stuff in his face with it. But he doesn't like ever admit that he used to just sit around and eat French fries and have acne. When it comes to the music, there have been some stories that at times when he tries to sell talent on a new gimmick and potentially new music. He'll do so by standing up and dancing and acting out how they could dance to their song. <laughs> Did you ever see any Vince dancing? Not besides the Too Cold Scorpio story, but whenever he was listening to potential new music, did he ever get up and move around? Oh, yeah. Because, well, the video of him doing Stand Back from the, the original Slammies or whatever, he loved doing shit like that. He, but he's he's... He doesn't think he's Tom Jones, but he's doing the Tom Jones shit because he he will make fun of himself that way. He will do that. And oh, look at Vince. He's being cool and making fun of himself. He likes that kind of thing. But yeah, every once in a while, he would just briefly, as he was saying something, break into some demonstrative physical action to illustrate that or whatever. But it wasn't a it wasn't a habit. He wasn't just bopping down the fucking hallways like. Lisa Simpson playing her fucking sax. Well, Jim, our next question was sent in via email. Dead, dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies. Don't crack, don't crack, Brian, don't crack. At gmail.com from Blake D. <laughs> <laughs> the people at home have no idea why I'm laughing right now. Question from Mr. Cornette. Concerning the genetic jackhammer with balls the size of grapefruits, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. This question is concerning Vince McMahon and his former journey selling bodybuilding supplements. I've heard a rumor for many years, but I've never heard a wrestling talent or someone in the business address this. So my question is, I think he left that and is there. Is there any truth to the rumor that Vince McMahon buried 3 million gallons of unsold IcoPro behind Titan Tower? <laughs> the IcoPro slogan was, you gotta want it. If this is true, then apparently McMahon didn't want it. No, you couldn't. Bear, Titan Tower doesn't like exist on Gilligan's Island where you can just go out in the backyard and dig a fucking hole. It is surrounded by the city of Stamford, Connecticut and concrete and parking lots and buildings. There's no way to go out behind titan tower and bury any especially millions of gallons of whatever i don't know what kind of containers it came in but um no i, I honestly i don't know what they did with it um I, I i remember hearing they had a bunch left over that that much is true but i have no idea what what they did with it or how they disposed of it i still remember Vince McMahon eating Ica Pro, what do they call them? Power bars? 
the fucking thing it's 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 supposed to look like a candy bar but it certainly doesn't taste like it it's supposed to be healthy and give the bodybuilders protein all in the 90s all the guys had these power bars in their fucking bags and they were eating them all the time like they actually tasted good that's what vince would snack on when we were at his house and he was and we were writing or whatever and it, it was either not time to go to the little deli down the road to get the lunch sandwiches or it was mid afternoon. He'd bite into these goddamn Ica pro bars. And I was one time he's way or try, you know, and I fuck, it was like goddamn a chocolate flavored roofing tile. But I, you know, I don't know what they did with all that stuff. No, but in power bars, that's the thing. Power bar, put penciled behind his ear and a power bar in his fucking mouth. Okay, well, I was eating Reese's cups. Would he eat a power bar on a, the way to his barber to get his hair cut while he's shaving his face? He he could he couldn't. That's two things he couldn't do. He couldn't either eat a power bar or fucking uh, get a haircut while he was working at the same time as shaving his face. He couldn't do all those things at the same time. He he could work and shave his face. He could work and eat a power bar. He could even work and get a haircut. But he couldn't do it more than two of those things at the same time. Our next question sent to Corny Drive through at gmail.com from Danny Brown. What do you think? FTR says in 2019 sometime, Triple H said a big wave of change is coming. A little while later, they said Vince wasn't well for several months. And that's around when he pitched that dumb parody gimmick. Do you think that when Triple H pitched them that, it was kind of saying Vince is on his way out. He doesn't look well. And now we have confirmation he wasn't for an extended period. Dude, I think we may lose Vince in 2022. <laughs> what are your thoughts on any of this? I, I don't know why you came up with 2022, but... Um, no, no, 2020. Oh, 2020 also, yeah. also. And by no, the way, the subject line, Triple H knows Vince is dying? Question. Oh, for God's sake. Let's not get that started. Um, heavy, knowing all those individuals, it's not unheard of that if, if there was conversation in the family that, you know, Vince wasn't feeling well, and maybe he was going to cede more responsibility to Triple H, that Triple H would then try to give somebody the Iggy that, Hey, just wait, changes are coming. And it could also be that he was just given that standard line because that's what you do when somebody's unhappy in a wrestling business. Uh, so I can't validate or shoot the holes out of either one of those theories, to be quite honest. Um, you know, but it seems like it, it, triple H has tried to avoid just outright bullshitting people. He prefers, you know, he lets like the Bruce's of the world do that. So it, it, it doesn't seem like he would have bullshitted him, bullshitted him unless something was going to happen, but that it may have been something else completely that we don't know about. Then, then they, they had an idea, and a week later, they didn't have that idea anymore, because that happens all the fucking time. You know, we really haven't talked too much about this since the FTR interview. What did you think, listening to them talk about their experience the last several years with WWE, Creative, Vince, Bruce, just that whole system? What did you think, sitting back and hearing all that? I think because of 
you know, it's a publicly traded company now and all that they've got human relations or human relations, human resources, or, you know, everything goes through a variety of levels of corporate. Now, I think nobody will just come If you worked for Ole Anderson and you went in and said, Hey, Ole, what the fuck? He'd, he would be honest with you. He'd either say, you know what? You guys have worked hard. I'm going to put the belts on you next week. Stick with me. I'll take care of you. And he'd do it. Or he'd say, you know what? I just don't like you guys or you haven't impressed me or you've been here too long or whatever. Maybe you need to go somewhere else. That's that was booking. And that was the wrestling business. You didn't yank a guy along cause you didn't have to, they were yanking these guys along because they knew that they were going to be valuable against, you know, the, uh, for the opposition against the people who some claim are really the best tag team in wrestling. I don't want to mention their names. We're trying to stay positive here. So they figure, well, we don't want to give these guys a fucking benefit, but we don't like tag team wrestling. We're not going to use them. So we're going to string them along. And they don't really figure it's stringing them along. If they're offering them money, cause it ain't actually their money out of their pocket. It's money out of the corporation's pocket. So if they're paying them a lot of money and then not letting them do anything, then they they are less sympathetic because they're, oh, you're making a lot of money. What the fuck? You're just complaining. Well, no, I just want to do something I'm happy fucking doing, motherfucker, so I'll go elsewhere. But that's that's the problem. Nobody has any balls, and nobody. there's not one person making all the decisions. Even, even Vince... Vince can't make every decision, even though Vince knows about anything of any importance, but he's not... He doesn't even actively tell guys or tell his people to lie to guys at that level. He, you know, he really doesn't spend that much time on it. They're just bullshitting on their own because they don't want Vince to hear that they lost these two guys. Vince hears these two guys debut for AEW and he go, thought they were working for us. Who was in charge of that? And whether it would have been a Laurinaitis or it'd been Triple H or it'd been Bruce or whoever along that, then they would have had to get yelled at because they lost so-and-so to the opposition. That's why they don't want to do it. It's it just, it, it, it's ridiculous in, in this day and age. But it, the, the point is they're not going to feature tag teams on top. They're just not. So anybody that wants to be a tag team should not fucking go there. And because every tag team that's gone there has been miserable or split up. Or well, want it out. It's not even about pushing a tag team on top. It's about treating a tag team division with respect. It doesn't have to be the main event. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying in, in a feature position on top, not the actual main event of every show. Although as it's been proven time and time again that can draw, but you, it would take years now to redu- reduce and eliminate the damage they've done to the perception of tag team wrestling in their company for it to ever mean anything. And they're, they're not going to ever do that, but it, no, you could <laughs> obviously they're, well, they're having enough trouble making a fucking star of any kind, single tag team. You know, they've had better luck with the women. They've just come across better women that have helped them out quite a bit. They might not, they might've botched that up too, but <laughs> you can't just keep making the tag teams meaningless and bottom of the card and the title not featured and etc. and you know and ever draw any money with it and so anybody who wants to be a tag team should not work for the wwf anderson and gallows boy as soon as they didn't have a fucking option they fucking cut them loose it, it, don't even get me started on that 
I would go to a motherfucker's house with a can of gasoline and a blowtorch if they talked me out of doing something that I wanted to do on the theory they were going to pay me seven hundred and fifty grand a year and that lasted for three months and they said, no, I changed my mind, they'd be changing their fucking address. But that's what I got to say about that. All right. Well, let's get some more questions here on this positive edition of the drive <laughs> we've put off the inevitable long enough should we talk about some modern wrestling specifically the weekly and i say w-e-a-k-l-y weekly wednesday night wars um is it is it irony what is it is it what i was talking about earlier with the the people that are switching sides and they're anti what they're usually pro or pro what they're usually anti here's what we've got from the wwe world wrestling entertainment the undisputed industry leader in cartoon wrestling and bullshit, uh, completely unbelievable cartoon bullshit modern wrestling is now presenting on USA Network a show that, for all intents and purposes, is the most sports-based presentation of wrestling anywhere in the mainstream, at least, uh, where all the guys are highly trained highly uh conditioned and are at least uh, mostly serious about what they do this comes from the the company where the promoter the owner of the whole thing was the first one to actually admit that everything was bullshit and on the other channel the lifelong wrestling fan who promised a sports-based presentation has now gone full-blown community theater comedy improv isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Supposed to be. I mean, he's doing community theater. The other one's doing Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, I'm wondering if anybody has has mentioned to Vince what what NXT is doing. <laughs> he might have put a stop to it by now. They're too serious, pal. He probably, I, he probably I, had thinking, to be reminded what it was. I'm thinking they're doing this and hoping Vince doesn't notice. From what I saw from an eye for an eye, I mean, I, I don't think Vince knows that they're over here trying to actually be serious. Do you? In his current state, he's getting a lot of publicity about it. He's getting a lot of publicity. I don't know how much of it you've seen. There's been a few different articles, a few different things about investors finally raising the alarms about the way things are being done. There was a big article in Variety I tweeted out. Well, yeah, that one investment group did a pretty thorough investigation slash indictment of if Vince keeps blaming creative, well, who's creative? It's Vince, ultimately, and he's been doing it for 36 years now. If I was Vince, I'd say, fuck, please find me somebody else that can do this. 36 years? Well, that's the thing. He keeps telling investors quarter after quarter that, you know, we need to create more stars. The storylines <laughs> will be improving. They're not going to improve because it's him and Bruce Pritchard behind it. And Bruce Pritchard is just carrying out what he thinks Vince wants. It's such a broken system right now. And anyone you speak to in that company, off the record, will tell you it's a completely broken system. And anyone who leaves that company will, on the record, happily tell you it's a broken system. <laughs> it's a broken system. And the part that's broken the most is Vince McMahon. He wants to work until he dies. Someone needs to tell him to stay home and just 
Do something else. Oh, God. I thought, I swear to God, I thought you were going to say somebody needs to tell him to die already. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not wishing death on him, but I think he definitely needs to find something else to do with his time. He is the person, the sole person holding WWE back right now, and it's going to hurt them because people are starting to notice. The investors are starting to notice that, you know what? If these ratings keep dropping, we're not going to be able to get a rights fee anywhere near, anywhere near what we got previously, and there's no sign of the ratings not continuing to drop because the program itself is so horrible across the board, Raw or SmackDown. And, and the thing is, I don't recognize this Vince that I'm seeing from afar. Vince, the Vince McMahon that I knew, even that was 15 years into it instead of 36 years. But, um, well, actually, 10, nine years, nine years through 15 years is when I was close working closely with him. He knew how to get guys over. He didn't stop and start pushes. He knew how to pick talent for the most part. He had a better, you know, better than average record. For every Mabel, there was a lot of stars. Uh, he went with too many big guys, but at least he went with them. He, he There's things they're doing now that just violates any rule of getting talent over or pushing somebody or building a big match that I would have learned in large part from Vince, and they're not following it now. Um, I knew the way territory bookers did things, but Vince had a whole different level of doing shit, and it worked for a while, and he's not doing the same thing. I'm not saying do the same things all the time, but he's the concepts remain the same. You do with different people in an updated way. He's not doing the fundamental same things that he used to do to build and create stars and get angles over. And it's, I can see where he said, well, I just don't have the guys that look like the, the stars anymore. Nobody looks like Steve Austin and the rock, but you, you've got some interesting looking guys, but unfortunately most of the, the past several years, they've concentrated on these interchangeable fucking gymnasts. And, and, and the only thing that stands out is the really silly shit rather than the really awesome shit. Cause there ain't no really awesome shit. I don't even think that's as much the problem as the actual storylines, the tone of the show, the commentator, just the entire presentation of Vince it's, McMahon wrestling in yeah. 2020. It's it could clean. Be gymnasts, it's, it could be big fat guys. It doesn't matter. It's the actual show and the product that is the problem. It's clean and sanitized, has no edge to it, has no grit to it, has no credibility to it, is just movement over and over. Guys have been allowed to have all these matches where they do every fucking thing to each other, and most of the time it's the guys that weigh 170 pounds that are doing everything to each other. So when money-drawn talent does do something, the fucking underneath guys have done much more impressive-looking shit which is something else. I mean, you know, this is a, when I first went up there, there was a sign on, when you went through the gorilla position, no matching tights, he didn't want fucking opponents wearing the same color on television. Now you can't tell who the heel and who the baby face is. And they're doing all the same moves to each other. But again, I don't even think that's as much the problem other than Brock Lesnar. Of all the stuff we've watched over the last year or however long, who hasn't been involved in a wacky, 
or stupid or badly scripted promo, a promo where they can't look at the camera, a promo where they look in a weird direction, where they talk like human beings would never talk, who hasn't been involved in an angle that's stupid. It's everything that made pro wrestling work has been dumbed down for an audience that isn't there. For an audience that is the audience of Vince McMahon. Did you see the Moxley quote this week? I've, I've, I can't even wait to hear it. Not one to defend John Moxley because he has shown that John Moxley Unleashed is not exactly, in my <laughs> eyes, the greatest professional wrestler. But his quote was, I'll tell you what pressure is. Pressure is having a two-page script written by a 74-year-old madman that makes no sense to you. That's going to make you look stupid. And you're on worldwide TV, live, and you got to memorize every single line and somehow try to pull it off and not look like a total jackass. That's pressure. Yeah, that's pressure. And that sums up the problem. They're being handed scripts written by Vince, supervised by Vince, that make sense only to Vince, and it's not connecting with any audience right now. WWE. Well, and and see, here's another thing. You know what Vince doesn't have 36 years experience at? Writing scripts. There were no until until Shitstain came along. There was no such thing that was even referred to as a script. We wrote formats, and those formats contained bullet points. But now, and then they had the whole fucking wave of comedy writers in. So now, yeah, that would be a big fucking problem if Vince is sitting down and actually writing the fucking scripts that they shouldn't have himself and making them memorize them and and uh, word for word yeah that's a big fucking problem because it's insane remember when they first tried to push roman reigns as a babyface and again roman reigns was fantastic in the shield got over as the badass of the shield so of course when they make him a babyface they have to dumb him down the same way they did with the ultimate warrior you know even you can say whatever you want negative diesel Warrior, diesel all these guys that were kick-ass crazy men all of a sudden, we're smiling, wearing sweaters, and hugging families. <laughs> and Roman Reigns did that promo that one time where he's like, this suffering succotash. I mean, it was a line that was written by Vince. Oh, yeah, yeah. No one wants to hear a babyface say. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. I feel bad for Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns, his push as a babyface got screwed up because it became, and everyone knew it, Vince wanting to push him as the top babyface. And it was an unnatural feeling, an unnatural push. It didn't work right. But the problem right now with WWE, and it's been this way for a while, but more people are becoming conscious of it, is Vince McMahon. He is the problem. I don't know what the solution is, <laughs> but he is the problem. Well, so time takes care of all these things. <laughs> That's the nicest way of saying it that I can possibly imagine. I don't wish ill on Vince, but he will never quit. He will never retire. So. Time takes care of these things. Our next question, we have time for a couple more, was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Chris Sweeney in Glasgow, Scotland. I was reading about the infamous Vince and Nails altercation, where Vince was attacked in his office by Nails while the berserker watched the door. According to Shane Douglas, Vince no longer has meetings with wrestlers alone. As Shane was going to Vince's office to punch his teeth down his throat, in quotes, <laughs> and the room was full of guys, and it's been that way ever since Nails. What do you know about this? Any info on the whole Nails incident and aftermath? Do you think Vince could handle himself if needed to? 
Well, Vince couldn't have handled himself against Nails at that particular point, uh, I don't think, because Nails had him by a significant height and a significant weight advantage and also was a lunatic. Um, but no, the, my apologies to Shane, but no, it hasn't been that way. Uh, maybe it, it just, I hesitate to say this, but maybe Vince just didn't think that Shane was worthy of a one-on-one meeting. And considering <laughs> most of Vince's thoughts of Shane Douglas, I would think that would probably be closer to the truth than anything else. I've seen Vince have one-on-one meetings with, I was the, the nails was what? 91, 92. Uh, I was 92. there. From, okay. I was there from 93 to 99 and worked for the company longer, but wasn't watching Vince have meetings. He had tons of one-on-one meetings. Sometimes if yeah, the old joke where the guys would wait out in the hallway in a line to talk to Vince was true because everybody at TV knew they, they, that was their chance to talk to Vince. Vince was going to be at TV. They were going to see him there or at Madison square garden. And it was hard to get Vince's attention at the garden. So that was the rib. Um, after the production meeting, Vince would go to his office and there would be a line of wrestlers standing waiting to, to get some time with him, however much time that might be. What one of the recently departed said, he wasn't going to spend three hours standing in a hallway to talk to, you know, Vince McMahon. Right. But that's the way the guys got to talk to him. If Vince was in the middle of something and somebody knocked on the door and he, Vince had Jerry Briscoe or Pat Patterson or Jim Ross or Bruce Pritchard or whoever the fuck was in there. If it was somebody that was only going to pitch something or that Vince was going to give a few minutes of his time to out of courtesy and mostly nothing else, then those people were not going to leave that room because they were involved in something that was ongoing. If it was a top guy, Undertaker, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, I could go on that this conversation was either going to be a little more challenging or a little more meaningful or a little longer or whatever, or a little more sensitive, then Vince would tell whoever give me some time and he would sit and talk with that person or he might keep Jim Ross or Jerry Briscoe or Pat Patterson if they were germane to the topic of the conversation such as the pay-per-view finish or the contract JR's and talent relations or the fucking agent of this thing we're going to do on TV or whatever but no there was never any statement made word out rule instituted or the scuttlebutt amongst all of us that no, we're not allowed to leave Vince alone with any of the talent anymore. That's ridiculous. And be quite honest. Let's see. 25 years ago. I'm I'm, if I was Jackie Fargo, I'd say Shane Douglas versus Vince McMahon, six to five, you pick it. I see everyone always acts like Vince is Mr. Tough Guy and Vince could have handled himself with all the boys. Where, no, I'm no, I didn't say, all, I, I didn't say all the boys. I'm saying Vince was bigger, Vince was heavier, Vince was jacked up, and fucking Shane may have been madder, but I got I'd like to have seen that. I because I'm I'm sorry, but I wasn't aware that Shane Douglas was a member of the Gracie family. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, so, you know, I mean, I did Barry Horowitz versus Vince. I'd have like six to five on that one, too. This was 25 years ago. Vince was in his late 40s and fucking Jack to the gills. So, you know, I'm now. But Jack doesn't mean you could throw a punch, and Jack doesn't mean you could take a punch. Well, no, and, and neither does it being a mad fucking pro wrestler from Pittsburgh. 
it mean you can do either one of those things either. I'm just saying it's not like if it had been Steve Blackman going in, I'd say we need to call some people to help Vince out. Our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com. And, and, and that's not being disrespectful to Shane as a pro wrestler either. Cause I have a feeling that unless it Ricky Morton particularly got a finger in his fucking eye socket that Vince could have probably taken Ricky in a shoot also having fucking at six or seven inches and fucking 40 or 50 pounds on him. But you know, but that is nevertheless. Let's get our next question here, Jim. This was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from John Smirka in Masontown, West Virginia. Oh, so he's smirking at us, eh? I remember several years ago, Vince taking part in a question and answer panel with fans on the WWE Network. He was asked what his favorite style of wrestling was, and his answer shocked me. He said he could watch Fit Finley and William Regal wrestle all day. Is this true, or was he ribbing the fans? If it's true, then why have we endured so much crap wrestling over the years? I think that, I, first of all, who do you say, Fit and who? Uh, William Regal. Fit and Re- I. I don't know that he's ever sat and watched them wrestle all day. If they, if he booked the match in his company, he watched that, but I don't know if he watched it more than once. I think that's something that Vince either would like to be true. That's why he said it or wants people to think that it's true, which is why he said it. But if you asked him to elaborate, he'd probably say, but that's just for folks like us that like the true sport of wrestling. But of course it won't sell or something like that. That's what he'd follow it up with. So no, it's that is totally not the kind of wrestling that he's always had the vision of, but in In his mind at that point, that was the answer that he wanted to give that, like I said, for either the, that he wants it to be true, that, that that's, that's the kind of wrestling that deep down he really likes, but of course he sees that he could never sell it. So that's why he has to make all these concessions or he thought that that was the answer that sounded best to, to the audience that he had. The style of wrestling that WWE produces. Do you think it's the style of wrestling Vince likes or just the style of wrestling that he truly believes would do the best business wise? Well, see both. He just, he doesn't want to admit it as far, especially to an audience of hardcore fans. Cause who else is going to be on the network, right? This is not just a guy down at the mall that just wants to see the fucking Austin and the beer truck. So of course they want to hear him say that. But I think he would like that to be true that he, you know, really likes that, you know, and, and it, it comes back to him having the, you know, the genetic jackhammer being, having the balls of steel, being a, you know, man's man. He would almost say it like reverently when he, I remember when I was a kid and you'd watch so-and-so and he'd take and he'd shoot the half. That's a Vince expression also like shoot a half Nelson to turn the guy over to pin him. It's an amateur wrestling thing. He'd shoot the half and he'd hook the guy and do this and do that. But he never made any attempt at promoting wrestling, anything like that. Even when he was, when his father was still alive and still the head of the company and he was an announcer, they weren't promoting the the WWWF had some of the, the hokiest wrestling in some cases uh, in the country before Vince came, Vince Jr. came along and got in charge. 
so they never promoted that, but it is what it is. Your time around Vince, was there ever a match that he raved about? I mean, was there ever something that you watched and you said, wow, Vince really loves this. This may be his favorite match. Um, no, he never. I mean, every once in a while, he might recall or bring up a match from the past. It wouldn't be in the context of, wow, I remember that as being a great match. It would be in the context of that, of of the business aspect of that match. Or, you know, something we did there that would could might work similarly here. Or this drew that amount. But not just, wow, that was a great match that I watched as a fan and really enjoyed it. And it's not applicable to what we're talking about here. But golly, I really liked it. No, you never, you know. Well, not that, but just. Um... And he also, he liked matches. At the time he saw them, he would always praise guys if they had a good match on pay-per-view. He'd never see that match again. He would unless it was for some type of tele- television production. I can't imagine that there's ever a match that Vince has gone back and watched again just to see it. It would have to if he sees something back from the past, it's because of a television or video project that they're working on. So it's not like he ever said, I've said he absolutely, and this has been borne out other places. And he's told other people this, that they're now revealing in these interviews. He never watched anybody else's wrestling, but his own. And he never really rewatched his own except for work. And then, you know, he had his writing team. We would go through the shows and pick out, you know, things that needed to be VTR'd or just write in the format package and the folks at the studio would take care of recapping in a minute and a half what went on in that particular segment. So, you know, he's seeing it as it's going out on television is the only time he's ever seen anything again. So he puts guys matches over, but that's at that point. Do you think Vince is a fan of wrestling? No, he's a fan of, of selling tickets to wrestling. And, and he, remember the quote in one of Bill Apter's magazines in 1986, when he actually did a legitimate interview with, uh, with Vince. Larry and Larry said, King. I, it was a Larry King interview. It was that. the Larry King interview. It was there, but it was a, a legitimate interview transcript. And he said, I want to be the Walt Disney of wrestling. And that's what, you know, it, Walt Disney didn't have the most realistic mice, but they he sure made the most money off of him. So he, he's always been about selling the sizzle, not the steak. But they also don't break kayfabe once you enter the world of Walt Disney World. Well, that's true. You know, you can tackle one of those fucking mice and kick the shit out of him. He won't take his fucking head off. I don't know if they still do it, but for years when they hire an executive or a senior executive, they spent a day in Disney World in one of the outfits. So they understood what that was like. <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd have to make sure I got that job first before I put that. <laughs> this question was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Chevy from the island. Chevy, Chevy, I love when you fall down each Saturday night on my TV. Oh, but Chevy, every time that you fall down, I know that you are falling, falling for me. Jane Curtin, Gilda Radner. Who else was in Lorraine on that? Newman. Lorraine Newman. Lorraine Newman. And, and the funny thing is, they all hated him because <laughs> 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 he was such a prick to everybody. But 
Here's a question from Chevy from the island. Dear Jim, was Vince right? We all have heard that Vince has lost it, and when it comes to the storylines on Raw and SmackDown, he definitely has lost it. But Jim, when it comes to the wrestlers and their place on the card, does Vince know talent? Outside of FTR, no other ex-WWE wrestler's place on the card has changed since going to AEW. John Moxley was always at the top of the card, and just like his time in WWE, I still find him boring. Mr. Brody Lee, or Birdie Lee, as he put it here, Mr. Birdie Lee, Birdie Lee. is still a boring mid-card wrestler. Miro debuted as a mid-card talent. Sean Spears is still an underneath guy. Just a few examples. So is Vince right? Because if Tony Khan has them in the same place, then why does everyone make it seem like Vince is out of touch with talent placement? Well, I I don't know if one has to do with the other. Um, those guys would be... The, it's... It wasn't hard to figure out to use John Moxley in the main event because you paid that much money for him and he is an ex WWE star and his mainstream television. But as far as the rest of them, I don't know <clears throat> if they're in the same place in AEW or if they're worse off because they sure got more out of old Miro in the WWE from what I'm seeing than they are in AEW. You've seen him. You would concur with that. You saw more of him in the WWE than I did, right? It, it, I don't. I don't see a lot of these guys holding their position that they had in the WWE, except for FTR. Which, yeah, they're they're featuring them, but <laughs> damn, they're featuring them in such a stupid convoluted way are they baby faces are they heels the guys that that everybody was wanting them to see uh, wanting to see them against the young bucks are now whiny bitchy fucking smart ass heels right when they actually have a heel team come in to work with them and they need to be baby faces they were baby faces before i it, vince does no talent as we just talked about earlier, Vince wanted to push Roman Reigns. Problem is, he was stubborn and wanted to push him as his top babyface instead of letting the people get to like him by making him a heel first and making him not like him, and then switching him. And then because he, the one Vince does not know talent in all cases because he has the the uh um what is it is is it a a he doesn't see some guys like Brian Danielson as a top guy because of the lack of size and or over the top personality. But he, at the same time, there are exceptions to the rule. I'm the same way in a lot of cases. This group of grade schoolers, you know, in modern day wrestling does not intimidate or inspire anybody to fucking go, wow, look at that guy. But when you've got a guy like, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, that was so good in the ring was that, that even though he, he wasn't very tall, he had the body for his height and, and he could perform and the people saw that he was getting the raw end of the stick. And so they hijacked the whole show in his behalf. Vince has a problem using some guys like that. Vince never saw anything in Chris Candido. 
which to me, I don't care if he was five foot six. He was all, he also could out bench press 80% of the fucking locker room. So yes, Vince knows talent better than Tony Khan does. That's why he's got most of it. And as far as using them better, it depends on what Vince's personal picadillos are. But I think while Vince's track record is not as good as it used to be with picking and using talent, the right talent in the right way, it's still, unfortunately, a whole lot better than the the option. If you want to talk about not only recognizing talent, but using it to its the best of your ability then you have to go to a ring of honor or a smaller company, ECW. Look at the fucking guys Paul E had when everybody was saying, Oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. It was smoke and mirrors. He got fucking public enemy over for God's sake. Um, he knew how to get the most out of the least. And with the smaller companies, that's what you have to do because you have no choice. You can't, you can, you can identify all the stars in wrestling, but you can't afford a lot of them. So you have to make your own. But I, so uh, the events is still winning in the contest of who picks better talent, but it's, it's not anything to write home about like it used to be. And only because the opposition is so shitty at it. Who do you see in AEW that has not formerly been in the WWE that you think Vince would see and think that's a talent? I want that guy. I can't imagine he couldn't see what's going on with MJF. I can't imagine he couldn't see that. Um, I think probably the way that MJF circumvented the WWE and any of its system and and got to where he is right now is just because he had an MLW contract that prevented him from going anywhere else, but from when he was nobody. And then the timing was right that it was up right when this new company was forming. And that's great because he gets to go and be more of himself that he would have uh, at this stage of the game had he gone to the WWE. Of course, he also has to work with some of the, you know, these goddamn guys that they've just hauled in out of fucking wrestling school. But there's trade-offs with everything. But I'd have to think he'd recognize MJF. Um, God, who, uh, see, that's the thing is Vince, I'm sure, has not seen anybody in, in AEW that has not worked for him previously. Cause he doesn't watch any other wrestling. I wish somebody would show him some of these things and I wish somebody would record talk about people paying to see me watch this show on, on the internet. I'd pay to see Vince McMahon watch any of these AEW matches and just to see his reaction. I don't know whether it'd be laughing, head shaking, anger, what it would be, but he would, I can guarantee you that if Vince McMahon watched the AEW television program religiously every week, he would stop offering guys more money not to go there. I can say that without fear of contradiction. The Vince McMahon that I knew, at least. And Bruce would be, and Bruce would be right there going, see Vince, fuck him, let him go. They'll, they'll put him in the ring with this fucking midget clown too. And they probably would. Well, Jim, there are many topics that have come in this week that apparently are very popular because so many people have sent them in. Let's try to get through a bunch of these. This next one was sent in the corny drive through at gmail.com from Peter Sutherland in Surrey, United Kingdom. Hello, Jim. Hope you are well with a question Hello, mark. Hello, Peter. 
Hope you are well, too. But he had a question mark there. Hope you are well? Well, in that case, I take my statement back and, and just ask the question. Are you well? I wondered if you had any thoughts on the announcement during the WWE's quarter three investors call that Netflix and WWE Studios have combined to produce a fly-on-the-wall documentary series following Vince McMahon. Surely, if done properly, this could be the most important documentary series in the history of wrestling. Also, will you be tuning into the show? Kind regards, once again, it's Peter from Surrey. So they're not doing a documentary on Vince McMahon as far as a documentary on his life and career. They are doing a documentary series where they follow him around presently, current day. This email is actually the first I had is heard this... of that. I knew they were doing a documentary series. Well, which is it? That's what I'm trying to answer. I need to know these things. I will as, look into as it. As Vince McMahon used to say to me many times, you can't make a decision in a vacuum. You need to have all the information. So give me the information. I'm, look, I'm looking right now you're for the looking, information. You're looking. Hold on. Let's see what this has. Because I'll, I'll just jump ahead and say that if it's a documentary series following him around day to day right now, I think morbid curiosity would be the only reason I'd want to fucking. I'd even rather watch if they'd have done something like that. Of course, he would have never allowed it. And, and I would have been hot about it at the time. But if they'd have done something like that just for me 20 or 25 years ago, that would have been some classic video. To follow him around all day, every day back then. Right now, I'm not so sure, not only with the product and the state it's in, but also from the last several times I've seen Vince on television, he doesn't appear to have as much vigor as he used to, and I don't want him to potentially come off less than the otherworldly being that we all came to know, love, and sometimes hate. I'm not seeing anything about fly on the wall. What I have seen here... WWE President Nick Khan announced a multi-part Vince McMahon documentary has been sold to Netflix with WWE and Bill Simmons as executive producers. Uh, the series is one of Netflix's most expensive of the documentary, excuse me, on the documentary side. No release date was noted. Okay, well, that sounds like just a regular documentary. And that means it'll be completely full of shit. Well, and I was about to say, now, I would love to see a documentary on Vince McMahon, but I'm not sure I want to see the documentary on Vince McMahon that the WWE will approve. Or Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons was behind that Andre I, the I Giant documentary. Bill. He was oh, behind that, that Andre was... the Giant one, which I know a lot of people really liked it. But again, they had that, what was his name, Shoemaker? They had that kid in there. They were pretending was a wrestling historian. He either <laughs> didn't right. know what he was talking about, so he started making things up, or was just lying. I think he didn't know what he was talking about, so he's making things up. He's the one who said Andre the Giant, as a heel attraction, went to the different territories, and the top babyface would wrestle him. Yes, I remember that. And we're, and we're all going, when they, when they credit him as being a wrestling historian or wrestling expert or whatever, we're like, who? We've never heard of this name before. You know, all the wrestling historians were saying, what? <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, Simmons aside, uh, Ken, it isn't that I know NFL films had a degree of autonomy, you know, to present the good and the bad, but still overall NFL films pretty much glorified the NFL. Did it not? I, I don't. It did. So I don't really see how you can look forward to an independent 
look at Vince McMahon from a wholly owned subsidiary of the company that he owns to look at the life. I'm, I'm going to be interested in seeing it, see what they do. Um, you may be interested in seeing it, see what they don't do that you can take apart. Cause you're, I, I'm factually minded also, but if they come up with some cool old shit that we might not have seen before video, things like that, I like to watch stuff like that. And, and, I honestly, I th- it will everyone know pretty much if if the WWE is doing it not to take it as gospel truth because they'll say say you know Vince's superior business acumen you know transformed a smoky bingo parlor wrestling into a major multi billion dollar attraction and all that stuff. He didn't try to put anyone out of business. He just wanted to compete. <laughs> he didn't ask any wrestlers to no show and walk out. He wanted everyone to give notice and do things the right way. He certainly did. Whenever they were leaving the WWF, he wanted them to give notice and do things the right way. That's the thing. If you were going to do a documentary on Vince, you can't ignore all the negative stuff. And there's so much of it. For any good thing you want to say about him, he did, using predatory business practices, go after every single other wrestling promoter, every wrestling magazine, anyone who was doing business in the world of wrestling. He went after them. I just found in the Norm Keitzer files, Norm Keitzer's correspondence about all this and how Vince Jr. told them, if you cover any other wrestling promotion except for mine, you can't have any access anymore. We're done doing business with you. And then Norm Keitzer called Vince Sr., who had been his contact for years, and Vince Sr. said, no, no, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. (laughs) And it's exactly what happened. So, I mean, you yeah. got to talk about all that. You got to talk about. And, him. And, by the, and by the way, let's just you've you've run across that very quickly for the younger folks in the audience. Norm Keitzer, uh, pro wrestling enterprises, the wrestling news magazine, et cetera, et cetera, had been doing the arena programs for the WWF, the Philly Spectrum, the Baltimore Civic Center, Madison Square Garden, and, you know, all points around the horn for what since the. At least the late 70s. No, mid-70s. Mid-70s, okay. Mid-70s and, until 83. And actually had its uh, their own, a, a wholly WWWF version of the Wrestling News magazine for them to sell in the arenas there, but he didn't want Norman to cover anybody else in the world of wrestling in order to get access to do all the things that he had been doing for his father for so many years and, and by the way i guess we'll answer this now for we got i couldn't believe we got questions about this you made a reference quickly to mankato minnesota yes a yes. couple of weeks ago <laughs> and a bunch of people said why did you bring that up uh that's where pro wrestling enterprises for the most part was headquartered norman was also in new york and various other places but it happened to him vince mcmahon tried to hire bill after tried to hire george napolitano when that didn't go the way he wanted they were banned from ringside he brought Jeff Walton in to run his magazine. That didn't last too long. He was not just going after the promoters and the promotions. He wanted to own everything. And the first battle was in 83 against the magazines. So there you have it. So that has to be covered. Him messing with Crockett Promotions on pay-per-view. How do you I don't, not- I, I have a feeling unless it's a goddamn 18-part documentary of two hour episodes apiece, they're not gonna they're not gonna cover the his war against the wrestling magazines. Okay, well what about uh, Black Saturday? Because the previous version WWE put out there in one of their McMahon documentaries, Shane McMahon was saying how Vince did this and the ratings went up and they were doing great 
and Ted Turner wanted to be a part of it, so we had to get away from there, which is a complete bastardization of the reality, which was the ratings went into the toilet. People wanted Gordon Soley back. They had more calls and complaints to TBS about taking away their quote-unquote Gordon Soley wrestling than they did about any other programming decision ever made before or since in the history of Turner Network Television. To the point where Ted Turner brought Bill Watts onto the station, gave him Sunday nights, quickly became the highest-rated show in cable television, put Ole Anderson on Saturday mornings, and you know he's, Vince McMahon was about to get kicked off that network until Jim Barnett brokered the deal where Jim Crockett Jr. paid a million dollars for the TBS time slot, which ended the talks with Ted Turner and Bill Watts, brought Ole Anderson back into the fold. That funded WrestleMania because Vince was out of money. There was no more money. Between that and the New Japan deal, that funded yeah. WrestleMania. So, I mean, that, in a sense, has to be talked about because it's all about Vince gambling on himself and all the usual crap. They're not going to talk about that. You know, there's various books right now in production about Vince McMahon and the WWE. And the WWE has a list of people that the people writing the books are not allowed to talk to. And at the top of the list is Dr. D. David Schultz. I wonder why. Yeah, I mean, that's the point. You, how do you ignore the Rita Chatterton thing? How do you ignore the 92 scandals? How do you ignore so many different things, which they're, they're about to do? I mean, we'll find out very briefly. They're about I'm, to do I'm it. just saying, I, the reason why I say they're not going to cover those things is because they're not going to delve that. I, and maybe I'm going to be wrong. We shall see. But they're not going to delve that deeply into any wrestling history. They are going to quickly gloss over whatever happened uh, before 1983 and primarily concentrate on what Vince's father had done with the WWWF, uh, barely acknowledge that other promotions ever gave them a run for their money or exceeded their business in, in some places. And then start with what Vince did with his father's small company that was making a fortune and how he built it up into a global sports entertainment juggernaut. His father's the, company. I'm guaranteeing you there will be very little. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. History. I guarantee you you're right. I guarantee we're going to have to do a whole show debunking everything that's on there. And it's going to be the whole, he put all of his money down and he bought his dad's company, not his father gave him a sweetheart deal. And he paid for the company out of the company's profits because he took over the company in 82. And then he had one year to pay off in installments, the partners of capital wrestling. And he did so out of the profits of this company that was making tens of millions of dollars a year, at least. Well, it wasn't, it was grossing over that. It wasn't making that. Some people say, well, making means profit. It wasn't making a profit of tens of millions, but it was grossing that it was grossing more than, because it was the Northeast Population Center, so it was always the biggest grossing territory. But yes, you are correct in that he paid for it out of the... He, it was already an ongoing business. All he had to do was not not cancel anything. It was happening, and it was going to pay for itself. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's not even diminishing what Vince has done since then, because yes, he made a lot of money, and he did a lot of things right. Most of it did not involve the wrestling product, but it involved picking the right people to work for him and in and, and, and the office as far as the merchandising and the licensing and all the et cetera. He, he went overboard in recent years 
with hiring people with not only no knowledge of, no background in wrestling, probably had never seen it before, to the point where there's sometimes a disconnect between what they actually do and, and most of the people working in the company. But while, you know, it, it's classic example of, of he even said, you know, he sells sizzle, not steak. His wrestling has never been the greatest in the world, but he's made more money at it because he picked the right people in business decisions of who to do these things. And and every other promoter, whether it was Jim Crockett keeping his same front office staff in in the you know the office on Briar Bend Drive and and it, them just being outmanned and it went too fast for them, or whether it was you know the ludicrous management of. Uh, Eric Bischoff in the nineties where he lucked into it and then lost it because he was paying everybody like a drunken sailor and making all those screwy deals and half the company and or half the Turner umbrella didn't want the wrestling company there to begin with. So everybody wasn't pulling the same rope or whether it's in modern times, you know, vanity projects by billionaires, kids and hire everybody that he likes personally instead of people that have experience in the things they're supposed to be doing. That's why Vince has. You know, yes, I'm not saying that he didn't ever have Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. But many times over the last 30 years and more now, Vince has won these battles because he was just in business better, not because he had better wrestling. But they will. And and part of that is history is written by the, the victors and they will continue to misrepresent when it, it, this is another example of like a Hulk Hogan book, isn't it? Where the truth is impressive enough. Do you have to lie about shit when you were already the biggest box office attraction at one point in the business? Do you have to tell people that you worked 450 days or 500 days a year? Because when you were in Japan and the United States at the same time, you'd fly across the, this was actually in Hulk Hogan's book. He would fly across the international date line from here to Japan so that he would actually work twice in two different countries in the same day. And he was so he worked 500 times a year or whatever. Point is, ignoring the fact that if he flew back the opposite direction, he'd lose the day he just gained. So it doesn't make any sense on the face of it. But it, the, the truth should be impressive enough. He won, but they, they can't even tell it correctly and with accuracy on all sides. Yeah, they won't. It'll be a big wrong. It'll be oh, no. Wrong. Ted Turner was obsessed with me. He just wanted to put me out of business. Never heard Ted Turner say Vince McMahon's name ever. He did a couple times on the phone. Hey, Vince, I'm in the wrestling business. That's, uh, I think that's why, that's why it's like, it's like Trump being, you know, jealous of Obama. And wanting to erase everything he did because I think it pissed Vince off that bad. I'm in the wrestling business too now. Um, we got to address it. Vince McMahon had so much makeup on. He looked like one of the Twilight Zone characters where you, <laughs> you start pounding on his house of wax, pounding on his face and it's going to crack. And... <laughs> For some reason, his eyebrows <laughs> resembled Mark Leonard in the episode where he played Spock's father in Star Trek. Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. But from, if Uncle Leo was from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> did, um, you see, did you see what Jeremy Bagley tweeted out? No, I didn't. 
I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but it looks like the Undertaker's last act in WWE was the taxidermy Vince. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you know, it just he's smaller and he's he was being gracious Vince, but he's just he's aged. He he it's it wasn't a commanding performance like the days of old where he commanded your attention and he commanded the ring and you could tell he had full, you know, control of everybody and everything in his palm of his hand from the cadence of his voice to the way that, you know, it just, it, it ain't there anymore, is it? He looks like, he looks like Vince Sr. No, he looks worse than Vince Sr. And Vince Sr. was younger when he passed. Well, but I was about to say, Vince, he looked, Vince looks now like Vince Sr. looked when he was in his mid 50s. So, I mean, Vince has definitely taken much better care of himself and genetics and whatever the fuck else, you know, but it's finally happening eventually. He looked really bad. And the makeup was, it was just bizarre looking at his face. And, you know, I'd focus on a different thing like, okay, his eyebrows, what the hell's going on there? And then, is he wearing lipstick or is it yeah, everything yeah. around his lips that make his lips look like he just, he looked really bizarre. His hair dye, just everything. And uh, his voice is obviously shot. Uh, it's been a slow thing that we've seen happen over the years, but at this point his voice is gone. And you know, I, I hate to say, it, but I keep thinking this is the guy running the creative show now there. You know, we all think of Vince McMahon. If you don't see him, you think of one thing, but when you see him and you see him like this and he's a shriveled up old man, it, it it didn't have the impact that I think he wanted it to have. I I wish Vince would get more rest. I really do. Did you I, see the bags under his eyes? I've never noticed it before, but the makeup made it really pop out, especially when he turned it aside. Massive bags under his eyes. That's what I'm 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 afraid. I don't know. I hadn't been around him in ages on a regular and personal basis, but I'm afraid he's still trying to keep the same kind of schedule as he did 20 years ago now that he's in his mid 70s. And I wish he'd just rest and relax every once in a while. It made me feel bad. That's all I got, bro. This is your show. All right. Well, let's get to some questions. Finally, it's only been 45 minutes. I was about how much longer can we go without having to talk about anything going on in the modern world? Well, this first question was sent to Corny Drive Through at gmail.com from Zishan in Karachi, Pakistan. Why is Vince McMahon insistent on scripted promos when he himself knows that the best promos wrestlers did were not scripted by him or anyone else? Case in point, Austin 316, or if you smell what The Rock is cooking, etc. Plus, it also robs the wrestler of his personality. Well, I agree with all of that. Um, and Vince knew that 20, 25 years ago. And it wasn't like that one day he just suddenly changed his mind. We've forgotten this was a process. The whole idea of exchanging when is still in until. Myself and Bruce Pritchard were both off creative and shit stain and Ferrara took over. Um, and, and well, they didn't take over cause it was still, it was Vince's crew. But when the, when Vince started the, the nucleus of them writing the shows, that's the first time that 
non-wrestling people had been allowed to be his creative team. There may have been one on a team at some point in time. I don't know, but I, I, don't, I can't even call that person's name. But non-wrestling people, and then they do it for a while, and then, you know, when they leave and go to WCW, then he's he's getting. Meanwhile, he's uh, had a few other people filter in there. He's now he's he's uh, went the direction of Stephanie, who had just graduated college. So now, well, let's make her the head of creative. I um, and that's not even a knock on Stephanie. I just don't see how you know that that wouldn't have happened without her proper last name that she would suddenly take over creative when I can't remember what she studied in college, but I don't even think it was writing. Was it? She just was around now, but anyway, uh, it was botany, botany, botany. There you go. And then of course she wants it to be a television company and starts hiring not only, you know, TV writers, but, non-wrestling people who have degrees in these things. And Vince is still at that time knew the top guys that can talk and have personality. You let them do their thing, but it gradually it started from the bottom up. Well, the fucking underneath guys will script this stuff because Vince doesn't care anyway. It's not that he doesn't care whether the guy lives or dies, but he doesn't care what I guarantee you during the attitude era, it was very difficult to get Vince McMahon to listen to what fucking Kai and Ty might be going to do on the program. As long as the, you know, pay-per-view was getting sold and the main event stars were taken care of, he let other people fill that shit in. So then it started gradually as, as it was never a thing that we did in OVW developmental, but as they started their own developmental, that was a thing. They started training guys that we're, here's your script. And they started even letting guys call it a script. I used to threaten guys with fines if they called a television format in the wrestling industry a script. Um, and it was a slow, just a, a, it like crept up like fungus grows. And, and also it was aided by so many more guys getting in the business and not having any fucking personality because we hit the fucking train monkey era where everybody wanted to be the flying Walendas on the trapeze and get into business to do cool moves in front of their friends in the rec center. And, 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 and though, so they need to be told what to say. Some of them on NXT still obviously need to be told what to say. Uh, so it, and then it just, it just took over. It took years and years, but that's kind of the way it happened. The conditions just got right. That, Outside people outside wrestling were given for the first time creative positions within it. And then it was fostered by the new younger generation of McMahons thinking that they were, you know, they're going to be a big television company and not just wrestling anymore. And then a bunch of colorless jackoffs that want to get into business that can't tell a goddamn story to save their life and sit on their phone and fucking noodle all day instead of fucking figuring out how to get themselves over as some kind of personality. And, and then they pay the writers a lot of money. So they got to justify their existence. And that's how it happened. How much of it do you think is a control thing from Vince? Well, at, at this point, he probably is instead of that, he's probably going, God, I wish I had guys like Hulk. 
you know, they could really just take this shit and run with it. <laughs> you know, he probably wants somebody to come out there and fucking do better shit than the, than is written for him. But it, it still needs to, you know, be within the parameters of what Vince wants. And, and that's, you know, that used to be a great thing. It's the same thing Austin did. It's the same thing all those guys did. But now I don't know what he wants. Maybe he don't know what he wants. And none of these guys look like, for the most part, they can give it to him. Damian Priest, you know, could probably fucking cut loose and, and be something. But the rest of it, Vince probably looks like, God damn, you know, what am I running here? Make a wish? Did anyone ever say anything to you when you were up there about what it was like when they were doing Saturday Night's Main Event on NBC? Because those were, I believe, scripted promos that were on that show, which was obviously produced by Dick Ebersol. Yes. Was anything yeah. ever said to you about that? Well, yeah, and Bruce did a lot of those. Um, or produced, you know, stuff for a lot of those, or was involved as brother love or whatever. And and hey, they liked that shit because it was it was network TV and blah blah blah. And I get NBC was not going to let just a bunch of fucking wrestlers make shit up. I think they even have run throughs of Saturday Night Live and still get shit by right. But um, but they they always liked it that way because. It was real television, network TV, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's always the direction that Bruce loved that kind of shit. They wanted the show business. I wanted the wrestling and just, you know, broadcast it to a wide audience. They wanted the show business. Speaking of Vince McMahon, our next question sent to Courtney Drive through at gmail.com from Denny in Birmingham, England. I noticed your last comments on Vince McMahon's appearance on Survivor Series. But neither you or Brian mentioned the blatant plastic surgery Vince has had. He looked weird because he didn't look natural. My question is, Jim, do you know, other than Buff Bagwell's ridiculous calf implants, do you know of any of the boys that took plastic surgery or cosmetic alteration to make them look better? By the way, Vince McMahon was clearly plastic surgeried up. Not makeup boy, what does this say? Not makeup boy hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgery, but I'm surprised you guys didn't mention it. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert. So I was struck, impressed, it made an impression on me of how much makeup he was wearing and that he just, he seems to have lost a little oomph in his face and he looks more like his dad did, even though it's taken him, you know, 20 years longer to get there and just wasn't a commanding presence like he used to be. I, I, what would he have had plastic surgery on? Maybe his eyes, but I mean, it's not, he still has wrinkles. So I'm trying to, it doesn't look like that, that cat woman that, you know, <laughs> try to get trans transformed into a cat or whatever. Uh, what do you think he's had worked on? I don't know. There's clearly a, that, lot, a lot going on with his face right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, because I hadn't seen him in years, and then I saw him. I don't know. You know, it, 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 people age. He's 75 or whatever. I don't know what he has had or would have had worked on. He really looks like, it's funny this happened. He really looks like that puppet on Firefly Funhouse. <laughs> He's literally turned into that. That's what he looks like now. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I don't remember anybody else. Maybe it's because we never in wrestling, nobody ever stayed in the public eye this long. Can you think of another 
big star, major, because I, I consider Chris Vince Jericho. a star in wrestling. Well, <laughs> God damn it. Jericho. No. He's got Botox forehead. But you don't know where I was going. Oh. With that, I've, we've seen a bunch of people become the past their prime uh, expiration date canned hams of the world as poor Chris is now. But I'm talking about, has any major wrestling star ever still been on television and, you know, uh, in, involved in some way when they were actually as uh, 75 and had changed so much and it transformed? I, that's what I'm trying to think of. Vince has had more longevity than just about anybody. Uh, well, you know, there have been guys. I mean, Lawler's only five years younger than Vince is, but Lawler's Lawler. I mean, well, I'm, I'm sure he's. I was going to say, Lawler he's, and. He's had some things worked on, but the, but fuck. He, he doesn't have anything bionic. Lawler still can have a fucking match and throw a drop kick. If, I think he'll look better at 75 than Vince does now, even though Vince had the physique advantage all those years maybe that's the reason why lawler looks better now and i think lawler had a good doctor because it appears that lawler and rick flair both had face work done but lawler just looks like another version of lawler flair it did like radically change the way he looked i thought i just you know i what did he have done i don't know his face his face well i mean what part of he still got a (laughs) a facelift he would have if you if you would have told people thirty years ago he was going to have anything done, Arn would have said, "Well, get that fucking nose shaved down." He used to call Flair Beak. Hey, Beak. Did he have a nickname for everyone? He had a nickname for everybody. Nikita was Cue Ball, and then we started wearing the the nice expensive suits. He became GQ Ball, and Tully, Tully was, was Wombat, Wombat, or Eddie Munster, depending on the fucking, <laughs> uh, you know. And Bobby was Butte. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, nevertheless, I, you know, I don't know, but I, all I'm saying is, is Lawler has somehow managed physically to defy time to that level and even died, died, still didn't fucking hurt him. But Vince was just, he had that commanding presence, whether on television or in person, when he walked in the room and he had the voice and he stood up straight and the, and you, you knew it. And he was always had this serious gravitas to him. And now it's, it's a shocking change and I feel bad for him. He kind of looks like Mr. Peanut now. <laughs> what the what there was a monocle and a well, top just, hat? He's like looks like shriveled up. He's like a shriveled up old. Vince oh McMahon. come on! He's, he's hey, he can he can still kick the shit out of any other seventy five year old man except for Vern Gagne. I'm trying. I'm off the top of my head. I'm trying to figure seventy five year olds who I would put up against Vince. It's I don't know. It's tough. Well, wait a minute. I'll put Sylvester Stallone against Vince. Hold I'll take on, Stallone. I'm just thinking Dundee, I think, is 75. Now, Bill Dundee, if he hit Vince with one of his working punches, he'd still he'd <laughs> go down still to this day. I would take Dundee over Vince in a fight right now. Yeah, yeah. You would, you would, yeah, because. Here's a big question for you. Bill Watts is cracked 80. Do you think Bill that's, Watts. That's right. Do you think he could still throw a punch? I'm pretty sure he could. I'm pretty sure. Well, a working punch or a real punch? A punch. Or both. A, well, was there a difference? A, a real punch. Well, a real punch. It's going to say, at least he would try not to hurt you. Is it, The result would be similar, but he'd try with a working punch not to. Actually, you know what? Uh, drop kick. It was a rip. I can't remember who he was working with when he did this, but he told Bobby and Dennis the story before the last stampede matches. 
so they knew what was up when he called it. But apparently he had been working with a guy, and as as he as he shot the guy off, it was a main event, and it was somebody that he was fucking, you know, on the same level as Watts, wasn't just telling the boss what to do or whatever. He's shooting the guy off, and the guy said, hit me with a drop kick. And right? And so when the guy came back, Watts just drew back and punched him right in the fucking face. He said, that's my drop kick, motherfucker. (laughs) So he started when he's making his comeback after Dog would give him the iceberg tag because Dog at that point was fucking coked out and was not present mentally in some of those matches. But Watson started making his comeback, boom, 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 and he'd shoot Bobby or Dennis either one off, and he'd say, drop kick, and they'd, oh, shit, and they'd come back, and he'd punch him right in the fucking face. And then he had this spot he wanted to do for, for Dennis to get his color, right, where he would punch Dennis, and Dennis take a bump and turn over on his hands and knees, and Watts would come and throw a football kick to Dennis's forehead, and he was like, Oh, he was going to come right over the the edge of the forehead, right? He said, you'll never feel it. (laughs) First time he did it, bam. Dennis said he saw so many stars, he couldn't find his fucking blade. And so every night he was, for the first three or four nights, he'd get his juice that way. Because both, he got juice on Bobby and Dennis in each match of the, what what do we have? 15, (laughs) double juice on both of them in each one of the matches. But the people had to get what they paid for. Anyway. By the third or fourth match, no, God, it was was deeper into it than that. But still, with like six or seven of them left, Watts tore his hamstring. And that's what we we went in the Superdome, the the tape from the Superdome that still exists of that match. Watts has his thigh taped from the knee to to his fucking crotch because he had, had tore his fucking thigh muscle, his quad or whatever. And... Is so he, Dennis said, God damn it. He said he was kicking me in the head so hard it tore his fucking muscle. So then Dennis had to get on his hands and knees even lower for, for was the kicking because he couldn't get his foot up off the ground. But anyway, drop kick. Do you think anyone has the guts to say to Vince, you know, Vince, you look ridiculous that you got to do something else if you're going to be on camera? No, well, he doesn't look ridiculous. He's not wearing the new days you know, entrance costume. Did you see his eyebrows? I saw the eye. Well, yeah, okay. The eyebrows were ridiculous. He looks like an old man. And, and the, the one guy that everybody that knew him thought would never age. And the one guy that they've seen with all that vim and vigor on television, even if you've never met him or seen him in person, I think it's just at this point, it may be to have him stand in the ring and do the same type of uh, delivery or the same to deliver the message the same kind of way. It might be a, it's a bummer now. Maybe he should be in a, in a boardroom setting with the table and the chair or whatever. I mean, make use of he's the most famous wrestling personality they still have in the company. Make use of him, but I don't just don't have him doing the same kind of shit he used to do because then you're comparing it to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And anybody's going to lose something. This concludes part one of Jim Cornette's Vince McMahon Omnibus. Download part two right now.